This podcast is made in association with Wave Motion Cannon. You can contact us on Twitter at warrydeshow or email us at warrydeshow at gmail.com. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes, like, subscribe, follow and share. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I hear I hear something. Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Ring. It, the phone is ringing. Will someone answer the phone? Ring, ring. Ring, ring. There, I'll get One that. Got- I'll get it. I'll guess it. All right. Hello. Hello. Hello there. Hello. It's me, Crust the Old Anime Fan. And I just wanted to thank you very much for covering an old anime today called Gunbuster. Look, look. Thank you so look, thank crust, you so much. Krusty, 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 we talked about yes. this. Stop calling me. It's 3 a.m. and I don't have any pants on. Please. Look, you, it's it's not my business or the government's business. Krusty, are you still on the phone, you piece of shit? Listen, I back sleep. there, Stop. I'm talking... About anime. People Good are sleeping in here. Anime, okay? So you just hush your mouth, old Go woman. Go to fucking bed, you piece of crap. Look, all I want to say is that unlike the shitty new anime that you may or may not be talking about, the sequel Die Buster. Ah, I hate to even speak its name. Gunbuster is a true... Are you anime making fun of me? Made in 1989. Oh, right, and okay, okay, you, look. I'm not gonna try and Jeremy Kyle or Jerry Spring this shit. Get off the fucking phone. You're gonna Please. show a girl's boobies. Krusty. She better be at least 16. None of this 14-year-old boobies. Like in the modern anime, you know what I mean? Ah. Ah. Krusty, get off the fucking phone, man, and go take your fucking pills already. For God's sake, we, we've discussed this. Stop calling me. Please. Would it kill you? Hopefully. How dare you? I'll just say this and hang up and listen. F- fine. Gunbuster! <laughs> Have a good show. Did I, did I stumble in the wrong podcast? No, you stumbled into exactly the right podcast. Which would be Watery Desho, episode 7. That's right. Citizens of the Soul System, welcome to Watery Desho, the uh, worst podcast uh, in this or any other galaxy, guaranteed to induce. I've forgotten. What's the thing? Time dilation. I, I literally guaranteed. thought you were just going to leave off at induce then, and I thought. <laughs> Oh my god, no. To induce time dilation.
Because cause listening to this does feel like it is 5,000 years long. It's true. Uh, I am one of your gracious hosts, the Subtle Doctor, a.k.a. Dr. Bad Shows himself, a.k.a. the number one virtue signaling Beta Cuck Spingler, SJ Dub. And I'm here what? with <laughs> I'm here with my esteemed colleagues. Um Do I know of... you? <laughs> you? You do. You do. Just checking. Uh, I so <laughs> that that lovely lovely voice you hear right now is from the first lady of What Are We That Show. She is none other than the dark web herself. It's Forgalia. Are you calling her a spider? Are you literally calling her a spider? She has me in her web. I am Aww. I am wrapped up. I'm calling your wife as we speak. <laughs> I'd like to point out that at this moment, folks, for those who don't know what um, Volgelia looks like, I have met Volgelia in person, and I can say with absolute certainty that she only has two arms and two legs, and not, you know, multiple spidery limbs. Or eyes. Or fangs. Or any of the elements that comprise a spider. You've never seen me with my clothes off. You can't really wow. tell. Uh, well, um, I now know what it's like to never know the bliss of sleep. Is the is the first boss in Devil May Cry a spider? He is actually yes, a lava spider. But, but he has a but he has a scorpion tail. Because insects, because he's a demon, because he's made of lava. Okay, that was my thing. Is like, is this supposed to be a spider? Because it has the look of a spider. But I know scorpions are also arachnids, but so maybe it's a scorpion and not a spider? He's a he's a lava spider scorpion demon growly ra 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 thing. <laughs> growly is right. <laughs> I love the the voice. <laughs> like you're not an ordinary human. Yeah. I, I do get the feeling that Phantom actually is probably like one of those really old rednecks that you see like rocking back and forth on a chair. Get up my lawn, you stupid devil hunters. I might have half you fuckers coming round in my castle. The fuck out. Sparta. Okay. Uh, we haven't introduced uh, the metaphor architect here. Um <laughs> Still not getting any work for that it. Was, that was wonderful. That was wonderful. Call him Hadoken, because he's downright fierce. Shaden. Uh, I didn't realize that my name caused people to retch. This is a new development. <laughs> are, you, are you okay there, Vargelia? Is my name truly that overwhelming? Well, time of death, approximately 2720 GMT. Uh, we'll have to get the coroner out on this, you know, you know, examine the body, find out what did it, but, well, I think it's just because my name is that good. It really isn't. Anyway, very good evening to you all, folks, wherever you may be listening to this right now. Hope you're all doing well. Well, if we didn't already say so, this is episode seven. This is the Buster cast, I guess, but that makes it sound like it's a podcast about, like, I don't know, snitches. <laughs> <laughs> Soft dudes. Dog's name Buster. <laughs> so this is our the Gunbuster Die Buster show, uh, and I, I, we're all very excited to get into it. And this this little introduction is, I feel like, in some ways, 
also like a fighting game character select screen <laughs> because we're all about to like this this show like uh i i say we're gonna fight i mean we're not gonna fight fight he says we're gonna fight he means we're gonna fight i'm gonna fly across the atlantic and come for you look um, right the reason i do this podcast is because i just want to engage in some mortal combat Come on. I just want to fulfill my life's goal by destroying someone's life. So let's talk about anime. <laughs> it's a noble ambition. It's very noble indeed. Basically, my whole reason for even bringing that up and starting that digression is uh, I think this is the f- show in which our opinions on the anime we cover vary the most. And so we are going to... Um, there, there, there may be some fights here, some, some clashes of opinion. Yeah, consult your alignment chart. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get into um, the anime proper, uh, we've got an opening question from at the platoons. That's the platoon Z on Twitter. Oh, that's um, my favorite video game. And <laughs> uh, your favorite war movie. Oh, are you are you unfamiliar with the uh, huge influx of Steam games whose name ends with a Z? I'm not talking about like the Wars. The Daisy, like, yeah. Uh, Daisy. My Minecrafter Z or something like that. <laughs> I have to say that when you say the Platoon Z, it actually I I blended both those things together in my head. What you said and what Doc said to think that it was somehow a licensed survival game based on the film Platoon. <laughs> And I just immediately thought that, and I thought, wow, that's something that's never getting out of seeing green light. I was going to say, yes, yes, green, green light approved, the platoon Z. I know, that's a label of quality right there. No disrespect to your na- nickname, of course, platoon Z. It's just unfortunate that Steam developers not only are ruining video games, they're ruining your Twitter handle as well. We're with you, bro. Yeah, no no, no disrespect, you just have poor taste. Do, do you want to try that again, Vogue? <laughs> Do you want to give that another go? <laughs> Why? Did, did, it, did it not go through? Oh no, it came through pretty clear. <laughs> Just some, some contradictory thoughts. <laughs> no, that was that was uh, that was five by five. That was crystal. That was that was un, that was unambiguous. <laughs> you might have misread the script. <laughs> I think it says no disrespect because we love you. And thank you for writing into us. I think that's what it says. Correct. Uh, I'm not wearing my glasses. Mm. Okay. So he asks, or they, sorry, they ask, which mecha series would you like? <laughs> the entire platoon. <laughs> <laughs> they have united into one Twitter account, one voice. <laughs> and they ask uh... <laughs> holy shit I feel like right. we've made an enemy today I don't know why I'm thinking this it just feels in the air like you know I don't know anyway go on go on as a person who speaks to at platoons on twitter he he is our friend you will remain our friend. They will remain our friend. I don't know if it's... Okay, I should stop doing the thing where I assume Twitters are penis havers. All right. 
So the question is, which mecha series would you like to have a remastered? Uh, would you like to have a remaster or a, a Blu-ray uh, or be like rebooted? Um, and so he asked us about robot shows, you know, because we're talking about Die Buster. But I thought like we could broaden it out and talk about any franchise. Um, oh, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me. Which, which, <laughs> which would like to see have a reboot? Uh, Mm, Vorgeli, why don't, no, I'm just kidding. No, Shishadan, why don't you go first? All right, <laughs> okay. You um, you're going to hate me because I'm going to suggest something that's actually not strictly speaking Japanese. Oh, no, no, no. You Let's do any. Like, All right. It's a show that I have a lot... I have a show I have a lot of fondness for. It got an incredibly bad... No, when I say incredibly bad, I mean say it didn't get the recognition it deserved when it was out there. And I think that given a recent uh, return of a classic show from my childhood to Adult Swim. You probably know where I'm going with this now if you recognize or the, the trainer finally know. We need to get Megas XLR back. Absolutely. That needs to be rebooted or recontinued. And I'll explain why. It does not ring a bell. Get off this podcast. Anyway, as I was saying, so... <laughs> So, okay. The reason I bring this up is because, as of late, we've been blessed and graced with the return of Samurai Jack to Adult Swim. And I've been watching this, and Samurai Jack Season 5 is an absolute masterpiece. It is one of those things that I would use to teach classes on visual composition and animation and storyboarding. It is a textbook work. It should be a set text. But I'm not just going to talk about that much more than that. But the reason I bring that up is that Megas XLR came out around the time that Samurai Jack was airing on Cartoon Network. And to me, it was, like Samurai Jack at the time, a show that, while it was on a children's channel, did appeal to a much broader audience and age range. Um, and Megas XLR featured a ton of riffs on a lot of Japanese shows. There's riffs on Super Sentai. There's riffs on Space um, Battleship Yamato, for example, including a Captain Harlock character who's in there. And even just little things like the fact that two of the three main characters are voiced by Wendy Lee and Steve Blum, who you may, of course, know from the English dub of Cowboy Bebop. I could go on for hours about the things that this show references. And the problem is... Megas XLR was cancelled after two seasons due to low ratings because, in my opinion, it was misappropriated as a children's show when, in reality, it works better as a almost Archer-esque-style parody show, in my opinion. And given how successful Samurai Jack has been on Queen Back Title Swim, like the, the, the acclaim for that has been almost universal and it's been very well received, um, especially given how much it's grown and matured as a show. And I know some people might get a bit like antsy about the fact that it's got more violent, but that's a discussion for a different podcast on a different day in a different month. So I think that with that having happened, I think that to answer Platoon Z's question, that Megas XLR, which was genuinely funny, genuinely well written, genuinely well designed as well, like there's a lot of great design work in the in the mechs in that. I think they would be um, brilliant to see that return as a reboot or a continuation as a, as a season three in the same manner that happened with Samurai Jack. Or at the very least, to have a proper remaster or a Blu-ray, because the last time I read about this show, and it was merely a while ago, apparently it wasn't in great circulation um, legally on uh, DVD and Blu-ray. I think it's available on 
the odd streaming service here and there, but generally speaking, it's not easy to get a hold of. I would very much like to see that return, absolutely. And if you've never, if you've never watched Megas XLR, just take a moment to go on YouTube or listen to the bit I'm going to casually insert into the podcast later of its opening theme. And don't tell me you won't get on board with that. Very good, very good. Uh, Forgelia, do you need a moment or do you have an answer ready? Pass. Um, okay. okay. I mean, I, can... uh, I have not watched any mecha anything except for Gunbuster and Diebuster. <laughs> um, let's let's guess which one of those I would like to see a remaster of. <laughs> Well, I don't, uh, I don't know. It could be either way, though. In my opinion, I think of your. Uh, oh, when... do you think? I think Die Buster could have been done well. Don't, yes, don't I spoil. do. Let's not spoil our opinions. Okay, well, bleep this out. This is later. <laughs> <laughs> this is fine. I'm just, I'm just fucking around. Um, Thomas the Tank Train Engine. Get Alec Baldwin uh, again. <laughs> Make what? <an> amazing. What? <laughs> it's my favorite mecha series. Of all the things <laughs> that I ever thought I would hear discussed on this show, what the fuck yeah. next are we going to start talking about fucking Bagpuss? Look, I may be about to offend some people out there. I hate Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> so oh, I much. hated this as a kid so much, yeah. It is... I mean, the old, like, the new ones are, like, insipid. There's but, new but ones? Mm-hmm. Of course there is. C- they're C- CG, Thomas. Um, oh. And they they are, like, they're insipid in the way that a lot of kids' entertainment is, like, but they're inoffensive oh. to me. Like, the the old ones, though, with the, um, I guess, the stop motion uh, <laughs> technique. Yeah, because all motion is stopped fucking like every character is an asshole in you them. are correct every character you Jesus, are they're correct. so fucking mean to each other why are we talking about thomas the tank engine on an anime podcast why is this happening sir topham asshat is like the worst the worst ever like he's such a dick like ah i hate like i hate that i even showed any of that to my children that is the oh no <laughs> oh no why well, i didn't i know. did not even think of that i didn't know you know what i mean and as we're watching i'm like this is horseshit we are changing this <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> out loud to your children <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> son this is horseshit this Dad's is now this me. son is why public transport is the devil this is why you will learn to drive a car. This is why we're moving away from coal and trains as a society. They're <laughs> yeah. awful. No wonder Britain privatized the railways. <laughs> okay, so because this doesn't have to be a robot show, uh, by executive order, we're making it any show. Uh, Wait, what? When did that happen? He did mention at the beginning. I, I did. I did say before we started answering, but it's also in the show notes. So, oh, okay. But, but... I figured. Okay, I figured you didn't mean like mecha series. You meant mecha anything, like mecha movie or whatever. Oh, not anything. Yeah. Anything. I think let's just you know be well because I know that um, you know you guys aren't as steeped in like 
robot stuff as me. I wanted to make it more interesting for everyone. Uh, uh, and and you know where anything you guys have seen that you that you think deserves like a reboot um, is fair game. Okay. Um, but while while you think of it, I'll just go ahead and say mine. And I I think you'll probably agree with this actually, Borgelia. So originally, like it's hard, right, to um to think of like what would make a good reboot because you know there's a lot of great stuff that you are like you know that is good and fine as it is like there's no need to revisit it like let's leave it alone so originally i was thinking of something that i liked that was super disposable mm-hmm. and i almost was gonna say like dino riders because i just adore dino riders and i want it in a modern context but i think i'm gonna say i think my answer is a somewhat more recent show that deserves much better than it got claymore they need to yes they need to reboot fucking claymore yes now that the comic is over the is it Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm I have to read this. It's really good from, like, I've read past where the anime ends, and it, it remains very good. Uh, I haven't finished it, though, but but now that the original story is over, they could go back and adapt, the, like, the entirety of the Have we, have we the talked about Claymore on this show before? I, I think so, yes. I think we have brought up at least once, yeah. That the... Yeah. But, the like, the entire thing is just so good. Uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did not like have an answer at all. Uh, but I'm happy with Claymore. Yeah, that's it. Wow, it's so fucking good. I the art in the manga is really good. I like it so I much. I have no experience of the manga, but I, I've 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 heard very good things about it. It's it's just it's really good. If you are you know at a point in Berserk where you're like eh like. You know, you've caught up or whatever. You know, you've been playing some Dark Souls, maybe, and you want something in that vein, but something different. Claymore hits the spot. Man, it actually it actually takes me about an hour to get to work every day. I'm gonna be reading Claymore now. There you go, go girl. It's falling yeah. in, in place. Yeah. Very nice. good. Nice. This was so worth it, Platoon Z. Thank you for writing in. Yeah, thanks. Th- thanks for asking for a mecha series. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to make a quick shout out to Adult Swim. If you're listening, I've got a phrase for you, and it is Megas XXLR. Yes, please. Make it happen. Thank you. So then it would just be Mega Sex. <laughs> well, it already wa- well, it already was, but like, uh, that's, I had an extra X, it's meant to be. Because it's meant to be extra extra large robot, but that it's like extra extra large. But I also think yours works as well. <laughs> Mega sex. I'm a big robot that's thrusting into you, all up in the camera. What? Mega sex. <laughs> but yes, please please reboot that fucking show, or I will find you. Anyway, now's as good a time as any for us to take a quick break. So stay tuned, and we'll be back shortly to begin proper discussion of Gunbuster and Divebuster. Don't miss it. At last, the future! 
My time dilation drive worked perfectly. Not bad for something I purchased off eBay. Now I can finally enact my master plan and attain what I've desired for so long! <laughs> Sorry to interrupt Lord Zyvox, but you cannot. What? What do you mean? You have traveled into the future to be able to finally legally purchase Macross Delta in English, but we have come so far that humanity no longer resides in this solar system. Earth is deserted. No! I added a few zeros to the number of years so I could make absolutely certain Harmony Gold finally caved and let someone else license Macross. Wait, did that at least happen? No. Impossible! Curse you, Harmony Gold! Curse you! Ah, uh, well then, how do we get back? Unknown. Well, in that case, search the ship's libraries for an anime that deals with time dilation, and a podcast to go along with it too. Anime got me into this mess, and by god it'll get me out of it! That is highly unlikely, but as you wish. I recommend Gunbuster and Diebuster. They are short, if nothing else. And why would it matter that they're short? Because you've brought the ship far enough into the future that, in less than a day, the sun is about to undergo the helium flash phase of its transition into a red giant. Is that bad? It will melt the ship like an easter egg placed into a glass kiln. Oh. Shit. time for a new segment yeah and guess guess which which turkey oh dear goodness quiet you guess Uh, (laughs) listen there i'm familiar with the history of that studio they are they've had they've had bigger turkeys than die buster I'm I'm not so. Why don't you educate All right. me and our that, listeners? That was gonna say. That's how you do it. What a segue! That's how you do it. Nice and smooth. Put on a pot of coffee and kick back as I ramble on with a bad, foggy oral history about a thing that people have given very good clear fact-based history on in other podcasts okay so both of these anime shows were created animated by studio gynax which again like in all seriousness like studio gynax is a very popular very famous studio um in the west as well as in japan like there are a lot of really like 
really big super Gynax fanboys that have talked and written about Gynax at length. Carl Horn, who is a, such a huge advocate for Wings of Oniami's Gynax's first film, their first production. And a brilliant film at that. It's it it's it's almost a brilliant film. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we, we've discussed this in the past. There's the one problem. The one problem mm-hmm. that just stops it. But we'll not discuss that. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily ruin the film, but it's just a such a such a poor choice. But and he's he also talks a lot about Evangelion and the studio in general. On our our friends, we're buddies with Grant the Thief. Mm-hmm. And also Heat and Zen from the Blade Licking Thieves podcast. They have a Gunbuster episode in which they run down the story of Gynax pretty well. There's a lot of places you can go and find this stuff out in more detail. So I will try to like paint with a broad brush. So I think the story of Gynax, it captures so many people's imaginations because it's the studio founded by anime fans. Mm-hmm. It was just some people that got together and thought like, man, we love this stuff and we want to make it. And for some festivals or conventions, they made these these short animations called Daikon, Daikon 3 and Daikon 4. And they got so, so big, these things. Like, people were so impressed that some dudes made this. And so they, you know, they founded their own studio and released Wings of Oniamis to, to great success. And then... Pretty shortly after their founding. Well, you know what? Okay. Yes, they released an anime uh, that we'll be talking about today, Gunbuster, in 1989. Uh, and they also released uh, the second anime we'll be talking about today in 2004, 15 years later, Die Buster. But they, like, they're probably best known for being the people that made the original Evangelion TV series. Mm-hmm. Directed by Hideaki Anno, who also directed uh, Gunbuster. This this was his directorial debut. He had been, you know, working as an animator on other projects. But this is when he first got to take the reins, and he did something very special. And, you know, he would go on, like I said, to make Evangelion, to make, uh, to direct part of his and her circumstances uh, for the studio. And, you know... He kind of was at the forefront of what I like to think of as Gynax's golden age, like from the late 80s for like a decade to the like the mid to late 90s, hmm. which I will say in my own head ends with the end of Evangelion film, because I believe that is the last production that Anno made for Gynax. Which now, you know, in in recent years, uh, the mid-2000s, he formed his own studio, Studio Kara, and he took Evangelion with him. And so now he's making those rebuild movies. But I think Gainax's, uh, I guess, Silver Age, for lack of a better term, started when a fellow called Kazuya Tsurumaki, who who was Anno's protege, made a thing called Furikuri, F-L-C-L. And it is, that is a six-episode OAV that is uh, it's just so near and dear to my heart. It's so wonderfully weird and full of energy. It's one of the coolest things ever. 
It was super popular in America. They aired it on the Cartoon Network. Wow. On a night nightly basis. <laughs> like, I evidently am speaking from the British perspective here, from what I saw on, because um, you might recall on the previous cast where I brought up like how I catched certain um, shows on Cartoon Network. Like, but they were all like the ma- very mainstream stuff, like Gundam and Dragon Ball. Mm-hmm. So for Flurry Curry, as you say, to get onto Cartoon Network, that's a big deal. Like that that to me seems like a a certain level of public awareness that demands it be on that show, I would say. Like that it has a reputation to stand with Dragon Ball and Gundam, for example. That's quite the thing. Yeah, and I guess I should be specific. Like it was in the adult swim block ah. of entertainment. So but it, you know, aired on Cartoon Network at night, but this this was before Adult Swim and Cartoon Network were um, they weren't as separate brands as they are now. You know, Adult Swim has its own game studio, for Christ's sakes. Or, or not studio, they're a publisher. Anyway, so yeah, so this made it uh, over here, and it was around the same time Cowboy Bebop came over. They're roughly around, you know, it, it, was, it was part of what helped make Adult Swim huge, was Furi Kuri. Like, see it if you haven't seen it. It's a marvelous thing. We may be doing a podcast on it at some point. I think so, yeah. And this guy, uh, Sudamaki, after doing uh, Furikuri, started work on uh, this the 15th anniversary project for Gainax, Die Buster. Uh, and it had been, you know, 15 years since Gunbuster. Uh, and, it, like, if you watch Furikuri and then watch Die Buster, it's so interesting um, to see... Suramaki progress like because aesthetically I think it's a very like you can see the step it's like a linear step forward from Furikuri to Die Buster in terms of story you have elements of Furikuri but you also see that Suramaki was paying attention to Anno Suramaki helped to work on Evangelion he was an animator on that show uh and he paid attention to to the story of that show because there are some some really good character moments that remind me very much of Evangelion in Die Buster. So I think it's like <clears throat> it's elements of both ages of Gainax uh, in Die Buster. I, just, I think that's an interesting thing going for it. And then I think mm. the Silver Age uh, of Gainax and probably like the prosperity of Gainax ended. Uh, I think the last thing, uh, the last big kind of, you know, their their final war cry was 2007's Tengen Topa Gurren Lagann, which um, I think is a logical step from Die Buster, but it's also where, where Die Buster is, is an homage to Gunbuster and other Gynax properties, like Gurren Lagann is an homage to other Gynax properties, but also an homage to much older super robot shows from like the 70s and it's much more over the top much more crazy a lot more joyful than die buster yeah i've wanted to watch it for quite a lot of time but i didn't actually know it was made from the people well none of the people the, so it's not a sudamaki work because so our buddy our buddy anno uh poached sudamaki from gainax to studio kara and so now sudamaki is in ava rebuild hell uh, for the last like ten years, he's just been working on Ava rebuild films. Hashtag free Suramaki. 
<laughs> let him direct. <laughs> let him direct. He's um, fine where he is. He's I was fine. wondering you were going to say that. I knew. I knew you were going to say that. Of I could course you do. Whenever this has been so biased, you're like, ah, oh, look at this wonderful Tsurumaki. Ah, oh, he made Die Buster. Oh no, what a cool director and. Ah, uh, this Silver Age ended, and now uh, he's not doing so well. But look at Die Buster. Ah, uh, it's such a good homage to Gunbuster. Ah, uh, fuck off. It's crap. That is rude. It's crap. And terrible. Anyway, go on. That's welcome to be biased, because opinions by their very nature are biased. You know, comes with the territory. You wouldn't let me do the history. Listen, <laughs> I... I've said nothing bad about Gunbuster. I you said I don't understand where uh, the hate. You implied good things about Diebuster. Yes, of course. <laughs> I I I I he likes the show. To that. <laughs> is this a surprise? We'll come to that later. Let's I, I'm just I'm just explaining why I had to like, burst at that point and say something. Cuz you know, I'm seeing too much Diebuster love here. Gonna get all right back on track. So, but yeah, Gurren Lagann uh, was a uh, Hiroyuki Imaishi production. He directed it, and he. So th- this is part of why I say like, like that was the last good guy next show because a couple years later he would take his people and go found Studio Trigger, uh, who made Kill La Kill and Little Witch Academia oh. and Ninja Slayer. Uh, and Kisniver. Well, what was your question, Shredan? Well, the, the thing I wanted to ask is that's twice now by my count that individuals have left to farm their own shoes. And then there was, of course, the instance in which uh, Suramaki was poached by Anno to come to his studio that he farmed after leaving. Is there a reason for that? Like, because fool me once, shame on me, but fool me yeah, once, and- fool me twice, uh, is there something like happening at guys? Like, was there any was there any word on why they left, other than simply just wanting to have more creative freedom? Well, the studio was not financially doing great. Uh. Like, so we're we're there's a uh. lot of high point. There's you know, there's some very high highs that punctuate um some pretty mediocre lows. You know, at at this point, they're not really making much of anything because they're struggling to get funding to to make productions. Yeah. If if I had to speculate, given what you told me before, because you did say that um, Anno took Evangelion with him, and if I had to look at that from a legal perspective, and I will stress this point, I am not a lawyer. Um, I only obey the law when absolutely strictly necessary. Um, although I should also point out that I'm no like you know jokeress person, and I you know generally don't really care for things like serving suggestion sizes or anything like that. But if he did take Evangelion with him. And he's now making the reboot movies, as you say. I would have to guess that he probably owns the intellectual property rights. And therefore, anything that he got from, say, if I was to go on Amazon now and purchase the original Ava box set, uh, whatever money that would go to the original creators would probably go to him and his new <sighs> studio and not um, Gainax. Or am I literally just stumbling onto a legalist, legalistic minefield here? I, ju- I don't know. Isn't he the original creator? Uh, well... Well, that, well that, this, is, this is my point. That's my point, though, Vogue, because he's left Gainax. So Gainax's funding from Evangelion 
has been cut off because he kept the IP. Yeah, so that's an in- but that's an interesting question though because um because he of course he had you know, a huge part in it right in making the story uh of it and directing that TV show but before it was a TV show uh it was a comic like right before and i would mm. say that the characters of evangelion like their um uh the just the designs like the drawings of those characters are as um fundamental and critical to the evangelion experience as anything um people love those characters and mm. those are creations of yoshiyuki sadamoto who and uh, I he, see. like the dude is an amazing character designer, but a really bad um, time manager because that comic started, you know, before the TV show Evangelion aired in 1995. And is still not finished. And just finished. Like just now? What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. There seems to be a trend amongst, um, you know, manga creators for going on significant absences, you well, know. For that guy like he's made he doesn't have to do anything he can he can do whatever he wants because that ava money <laughs> i guess exactly that ava money well i'll just put a quick thing out to the audience then if you're listening if you do have any further insight on you know why gainax lost such a financial revenue stream if that literally was the case as i speculated then i'd be very interested to hear about that if you'd be willing to chime there, in there on the was email. definitely there was definitely a legal thing where ano fought gainax i, I believe if you know, if you would do some some cursory research, which I have not done, <laughs> then you could see, uh, you know, maybe maybe that could tell you some uh, of what you want to know. But also, also listeners, please tell us things. Um. Uh, speaking of Yoshiyuki Sadamoto, Sadamoto did the character designs for Die Buster as well. So if you notice similarities to the Evangelion character designs, this is why. And that was like a stark break with the previous show's character designer, uh, Haruhiku Mikimoto, who, like, I-, I think Mikimoto, like, I love Mikimoto designs, like, just a great deal. And his work is pretty synonymous with, like, 80s anime. Like, when you look at Mikimoto mm-hmm. character designs, right, you you just, it's 80s anime. Um to a T. Like, let's just look up here some of the things. Okay. So, um, I, I can't believe this slipped my mind. I feel like a, like a lesser fan. Because, duh, obviously, Haruhiku Mikimoto did the character designs for Super Dimension Fortress Macross. <laughs> ah! Both the TV show and the Do You Remember Love film which i've still not seen and i and i believe he did megazone 2 3 parts 2 and 3 as well and you know some oavs like high speed jesse that are like relatively unknown but like i was really surprised last year when out of the blue mikimoto's doing anime work again he did the designs for cabinary of the iron fortress ah the zombie train show which looks phenomenal in no small part due to mikimoto's work but we are now going backwards and we should be moving forwards through history i i i said that the silver age ended with gurren lagan but 
people people will probably argue and say that it ended two years later with Panty and Stocking with Garter Belt. That's that I think that's another Imaishi work, but I never watched it. It didn't really look like my thing. I know that a lot of people are going to recommend that I watch it, but um Yeah, I've had I've had, I've had, uh, I said people that it doesn't look like my thing and they more or less mentioned uh that's the point. That's why you should watch it because it's not what you think it is. Uh so I've been kind of interested in watching it, but I uh, have not had the chance to do so yet. Um I think my Sakamoto worked on that. Who? Why is that name? That name rings a bell, but I'm really not thinking of it right now. Wait a minute. <laughs> Sayo Yamamoto. Uh, I, d- I knew it! I fucking knew it! Uh, uh, it does ring a bell. I'm pretty sure Sayo Yamamoto did some work on Panty and Stocking at the uh, time. Who? Um, uh, what, what else? Oh, Sayo Yamamoto. They, uh, she, she has done... <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we've ever discussed her on the yeah. podcast before. This this like tiny little ice skating thing that nobody watched. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is that shit? I don't even Did know. Did you go in hot? Yeah, some some <laughs> uh, some other thing from with some some dude with sideburns or whatever. I don't remember. Right, hairy hands. <laughs> yeah, drugs and cults. Whatever doesn't matter. So I guess to cap off the super again rambling and foggy oral history is that it has recently come to light uh, that Gainax, Yamaga, and Sadamoto are working on Gunbuster Three. It is it is a script that is being written. Oh, it's just a script for now. It is only a script at the moment. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would be pretty cool if it did come out in 2019 that would keep the whole 15 year thing going you know be the 30th anniversary guy oh, okay. 15 years since um mm. die buster which was 15 years after gunbuster i need to intercede here and just mention something when you told when you told me about this i suggested that if you have any rational sense at all when you're naming <laughs> the third entry in this particular <laughs> series and you had to decide what it was called if you had any rational sense, then the obvious choice would be to call it Tribuster. <laughs> and I'm going to make a call out right now. I'm going to say something right now, so it's on the record. I'm not going to edit this out, even though I will be editing this podcast. I think it makes perfect sense to call the third entry Tribuster for various reasons, not least of which it sounds actually kind of cool. Tribuster and the E is a three. <laughs> Tri- oh, Tribuster San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> what if it was TRY Buster? Oh damn! Ah! Uh, exclamation point! Buster! Like I'm gonna make the I'm gonna make the call out right now that although that is the most obvious thing that you should call this third entry in this series, they're not gonna oh, call it that. It. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. That would be a bit too meta, tongue in cheek. Uh... It's obviously it's obviously gonna be called Twa Buster. <laughs> like you oh, don't have to try Buster very hard no. because the previous one was garbage. <laughs> Again, the so mask slips off a little bit, and Vogue just you know, ooh, five for the hip there. I think the mask hasn't slipped off. Just, I think it's been like Dio, and it's taken hold of her, and she's now under its evil influence. Oh boy, yeah, as if like. 
you know, I don't know where I was going with this, but it would probably <laughs> end in me insulting Diebuster. So let's just mm-hmm. insert Diebuster insult here. Yes. Yeah. Let's yeah. Let's not put the cart before the horse here. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so thus thus concludes I think the well no I should just say uh, to finish out the thought right um that they that Gynax what's left of it is is gathering up money I think and and they I think that they think it won't be as hard to get money for this because they're they're also actually working on are they gonna put it on Kickstarter. I think they're actually working on a sequel to Wings of Oniamis. Also, they ha- and they have oh. been for a while. They actually Ooh. have been for a while. That's one of those like, it's a script in a drawer, but like, it's been in limbo forever because that studio has no money. Is is it um, gonna be like a gearbox thing where they take money for that intended for Wings of Oniamis <laughs> and fund Tribuster? <laughs> Oh god! No, no, no! It's like it's like I said before. It's going to go well, on Kickstarter. They're not going to do that. Um, if you look at the Wave Motion Canon um interview in which, like, I think we were the first website to um publish anything in English, where Sadamoto and Yamaga like came out and said that it's an official project that they're doing, and so the interviewer asked them about public funding or crowdfunding, and the, and Yamaga was just like staunchly like no. We're not doing that. Fair enough. I forget his rationale. I think that they could do it. I think it would get funding that way. But for whatever reason, he doesn't believe in it. Even even with like the funding, okay, say they get like a million. Is that enough to fund and advertise an anime? An entire sort of... I think maybe it would help. Yeah, it would, it would help not necessarily be the sole source of funding. Perhaps, but eh, I guess maybe. Who knows? I don't know. There's there's a lot involved. Money, in it, it's so fu- it's funny. Money has anyway. been a problem for Gunbuster since, even since the first 1989 anime. The oh, believe me, I've got things to say on that. I know, was complaining about lack of money, and it's so hey, funny. I know, like, I know, he, was pretty talented. He did some very good things with the budget. Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh my god. Like I, I, I wouldn't have known that they were lacking money like except that he came out and said it it was really funny like he fucking unloaded on pat the pat labor oav (laughs) he just dunked on it and was like look it's that shit's fault because and i love pat labor so i don't agree with anno that it's bad or that it's did anything wrong necessarily but like he was basically like they made an oav on a tv on a budget for a tv show so now studios expect everyone to do that and we need more money to make this production the way it should be so i just love how he just like took a shot at headgear <laughs> and just dunked on pat labor it made, <laughs> made me happy but yeah gynax gynax is a um, is a pretty amazing story and if anything that i said interests you do a deep dive into wikipedia and you know, the Anime World Order podcast, the Anime News Network podcast has some stuff. A lot of people have written and said a lot of pretty awesome things about Gynax. It's it's a fascinating story. So now comes the point of the podcast uh, where we've got the context covered. And now we're going to talk about these specific shows uh, in a spoiler-free fashion. 
we're going to give um, a plot summary uh, and talk a bit about whether or not we recommend these shows before we get into the spoiler-heavy stuff. So I'm going to throw it to the dark web herself to run down a gunbuster. Well, it's this is a pretty difficult show to summarize. Uh, in the year 20XX, um, aliens are threatening Earth and humanity, uh, which has advanced technologically to the point where they can achieve travel at relativistic speeds and have like, that sort of uh, advanced technology. It's a story about humanity, its place and scale in the universe. It's a story about friendship. It's a story about <sighs> a whole lot of things that are wonderful. So relatively young children are trained in uh, mechs to to engage in like space combat with the aliens and eventually end up taking part in fighting and uh and wear Man, short shorts dig that crazy chick and very well Leosaz, even we kind of follow a single character at to in like her sort of a journey from training to become a mech pilot to uh, joining in like the, the the space campaign and meeting people and having things happen, as is usual in my favorite anime. <laughs> things always things, things, things always do happen, happen. In your favorite anime. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really sort of struggling to not spoil anything it's hard it's hard but things happen well at least you can you can at least you can at least mention i suppose the events of the very first episode that actually follow well, the setup with nothing may else I, um cut in just to briefly just to briefly point out so the the title for both of these shows is tapuanare gunbuster and tapuanare diebuster and that translates to aim for the top gunbuster and the reason mm-hmm. that's significant especially in the first Butchered one it is i'm sure i did the reason it's significant in the first one uh is that uh the first gunbuster is like an ano tribute to a 1970s sports anime called aim for the ace which, oh. which was directed yep. by osamu dezaki and it was uh, a show about a girl with absolutely no talent whatsoever for tennis who the sort of authoritarian super strict like coach picks out as someone with potential he sees some kind of hidden potential in this girl and molds her into a star tennis player and she you know has someone in the group that she looks up to as her senpai but like other people in the group like pick on her and she struggles and uh and then only like towards the end of the show where she like pledges to give herself wholly over to the coach and his methods does she like ascend to become a tennis genius and the uh, coach is proved the coach is proved right because she wins the tennis championship well um, i don't i don't even have to summarize the first episode <laughs> that was the first episode of gunbuster spoilers 
<laughs> also, all, well, I I think that there's pro- there's a lot more to Gunbuster than there's Abe for yes yeah yeah. But um, the first the first scene I thought was incredible. By the way, just to give you a flavor of like what the show's about, like. I think the first scene is a ro- a robot doing push-ups. <laughs> Why? <laughs> right, okay, 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 okay. You know what, right? Although this uh, this is going to get a little specific. I saw that and I did immediately think, what? Like, why is a robot doing push-ups? Is the robot mm-hmm. trying to get gains? Do we give the robot That's protein exactly. bars? You know, does it does it does it does it drink does it drink nutrient shakes? But here's the thing, right? I actually thought about this. It actually it makes, makes sense. sense. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because the whole reason they're training these robots is so they can learn how to operate them as naturally as they it's would true. their own You're bodies. Right. You're right. So, so you know what? It, it actually it works. works, even though it is You're goofy totally as fuck. Right, anyway, I'm 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 star- I'm sorry for stealing your thunder, Cornelia. Yeah, that's that's that like that's exactly what I was going to bring up. <laughs> Um, but I suppose we can also just there's the other thing that happens in the first episode that I think is worth bringing up, which is we can't really discuss the any part of like the show in it like without at least bringing this bit up. It's in the opening minute or two of this show. Now Doc brought up Aim for the Ace, and he mentioned the plot threads of that, but there is an additional plot thread that runs through part of Gunbuster, in my opinion, although that I'm saving for later to discussion, in that. Um, the lead character who is named Noriko um, spoiler I'm oh, no. spoiling her name I apologise profusely I apologise profusely for spoiling her name tell what colour uh, she wears more spoilery <laughs> but but dark <laughs> anyway um, I, she has a father and her father is enlisted in the navy space navy and her father is one of the first, if not the first, individuals put in command of a ship to go and oh, fight, or at least I think I know make contact say, with the aliens. Please continue. <laughs> what happens is that one day, Noriko, like, gets home. Like, there's, there's scenes involving her, you know, bonding with her father. She goes home after school and is told that her dad is not coming back. He's gone. That's it. And that faxes into the plot as well and colours her actions and her reactions to what happened um, to things that she discovers as time goes by. So it is certainly one of the grounding elements of the show. And and without getting too much detail, the opening scenes in which this is conveyed to us is done very simply, but with almost brutal effectiveness that I found myself like thinking simultaneously, is this really amateurish or is this really really good because it's just simple and understated mm. and effective and i'm gonna go with the latter i'm going to i'm gonna play devil's advocate here and assume that that was the intent uh, especially when we get to a later moment in the show that i want to discuss in the spoilery bit but um i will wait for the spoilery bit so can i go. just say uh, i will drop this bomb right now and i will explain better <laughs> in in the spoilers section this is not a mecha show. Drop a bomb! Drop a bomb! Drop multiple bombs! Do you, do you want me to... Let me, let me throw a spoiler in to, jo- to go in with your bomb there. The titular gunbuster of this particular show, which is only six episodes long, does not appear in any significant capacity until the fourth this, this episode. This is not a mecha anime. Yes, Controversy. but that's the point. The mecha and the show are the setup. They're not the payoff 
fighting aliens. Exactly. Mimeka, all of this is the setup for... Burning me with your hot takes. <laughs> for its own wonderful meta sort of narrative. Not meta, but like overarching narrative. This is a show that one that paints humanity's place in the universe using uh, very strict rules, using even sort of realistic-ish, authentic. You're referring to physical laws. Yeah, physical yeah. laws. Yeah, it's very much grounded, and it uses these. Uh, it and it's it's not a story about oh look, this is how science works, but it's it uses some very sort of strict rules and throws characters into this into this universe yeah that is the core in my opinion of any good science yeah. fiction work because if you if you create a work of science fiction which is all about the technology like here's this awesome robot it does these things you're not writing a story you're writing a technical manual for a thing that does not exist oh that's the but no 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 dog 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 let me explain that's not to say i don't devalue spectacle Believe me, I'm going to, when we get to everything I have to think about these two things, I hope I'll make that abundantly clear. But, like, the best sci-fi, in my opinion, is the kind that, as Vogue rightly points out, uses a law or a principle, be it fictional or real, so in this case, the time dilation element, to tell a story in which characters change and are affected by it. Yeah, how do characters and how does humanity cope with this thing? Yeah. It's really good. It's really fucking good. And yeah, I would actually agree with you that this is that Gunbuster is like a hard science fiction story and like Diebuster is much more close to like here's a super robot show. Don't go there. I will kick your face. We're talking about <laughs> Gunbuster. No, no mention uh, yeah, of the D I'm word. saying <laughs> none. I'm just saying I think you could probably put them in different genres. Absolutely. Yeah. We we even had mm -hmm. uh sort of a uh disagreement about how like whether it's important for the the rules provided to be modeled to the, after like the real world and i'd say right. no even if it was just yeah. a magic portal that just ages you when you go through it it's just, it doesn't matter it's a story about how humanity and people cope with it mm -hmm. so it's yeah. it's not so much like just oh here's a bunch of science yeah, as Shadan pointed out, way more eloquently than me. It's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we go back to the comparison to Aim for the Ace uh, that you mentioned before, you yourself, Fog, said that episode one of um, Gunbuster is pretty much Aim for the Ace. And that ties into what we said about the notion of the character work coming first before the science fiction element, in that they have the same bones of a story, it's just the context that differs and the rules of engagement, for lack of a better term. So yeah, I am a, I am in a complete agreement here. And I'm gonna again want point out though that while Gunbuster is character driven, that does not mean there aren't moments of spectacle and action in it. There are certainly action moments in it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I really, really liked about the show, without getting into spoilery stuff, but I do want to cite specific scenes when we get to the spoilery stuff, is that this show, with some exceptions which I'll cover in negatives, but Anyway, I'm saying it's uneven, but this show handles both like big robots with big lasers shooting through things and like driving like through enemy ships and all that really well. But it also knows how to be very subtle and very understated as well. 
there's a moment in the third episode that made this crystal for me, and we'll discuss that in the specifics. So, I guess just to get my opinion on the record about something you said a little while ago, like, I I disagree about the whole, like, writing a technical manual thing for um for technology that doesn't exist. Like, I think, like, good sci-fi can absolutely do that, but I just don't think it has to. But maybe maybe we just disagree about like genre definitions because um maybe I was maybe I was being overly harsh when I called it that because maybe I'm maybe what I'm thinking about is like I don't know maybe that space fantasy because like because I really love you know space and futuristic settings and stuff like that but but I'm also completely completely fine with um with a show not really caring so much about um about rules and laws and and consistency like that I, I think like. I guess a sci-fi story can do that to me and still be good. Like it's not, um, it's adherence to that consistency is, um, is not like a thing that makes it good to me necessarily. Yeah. I, I think if I, if I might clarify the comment I made before, when I say about tech, tech money, I think the thing that I may have misrepresented there is that if, is that the, the fact that I did, I missed the notion of execution. I mean, if you take my analogy as given, even if it is admittedly a bit harsh, a well-executed technical manual, for, again, for lack of for using the term I came up with before, because I own my mistakes, <laughs> um, can still be fascinating mm-hmm. and engaging. You can be fascinated by it. Like, I, when I was younger, for example, I owned um, law books about Star Wars vehicles and characters, like how, like, various... Craft were constructed. They had like How layouts. How long is a star destroyer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It literally answered shit like that. It like, and I read that as a mm-hmm. kid, and I found it fascinating. I think I'm. I think the thing is, I weight character driven stuff more than spectacle driven stuff. But that does not mean I don't derive value from spectacle. It's just that I prefer one to the other. But I'm happy having the other in the instance of that. And the thing about Gunbuster um, is that. It does provide both. I think both both do both, but we can probably get into that later. Yeah. Sorry, it's just the wind. Okay. Uh, Okay. Open the window. (laughs) It's just the. It's just the wind. (laughs) And never ever play poker, (laughs) Vargelia, for God's sake. Oh, she'd be a great. She'd be a great poker player. This is all for comedic effect. (laughs) For all the wrong reasons. Listen, I have no doubt she'd be a fucking shark. (laughs) That's actually true. I reckon you would. All right. Do you think? Do you think we've? we've covered enough ground here on what this is about or or do we want to say more i i feel like this has this has been a, a decent uh description of gunbuster there's a character named young freud <laughs> so it's rid- ridiculous that is correct <laughs> <laughs> yeah young freud who looks I, like she looks like uh, <laughs> she looks like a character <laughs> of um I don't know, like, there's something about her <laughs> hair that just strikes me yeah, as strange. Right? <laughs> and I can't place my finger on it. I don't get it. <laughs> but yeah, no, there, there is that. And I have to say, like, Coach, um, I'm going to make this comparison oh, now. Oh, I could not get... <laughs> oh, that, that, first, that. first off, I, I'm i going to apologize right now for this, but every time they kept saying Coachy, I kept thinking they were going to say Coochie Coo. No. And it just, it, it just, I don't know, some way in which it was conveyed that kind of took the edge oh, off the tail. That, that, that character is what, like, keeps this show grounded in its homage to Aim of the Ace, or sorry, Aim for the Ace. Because, like, you have a gym coach yeah. who's, like, going into space <laughs> with the, with the, you know, the PE class to fight aliens. 
It's so good. It's so awesome. I wish I did that when I did PE in school. Like, all I ever got did in PE was get Pete last to play football. Right oh. after right after he gets oh, off oh. from his uh, day job at Diamond Dogs. <laughs> I was gonna make that joke! <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking because Master Miller. Master Miller. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you see him, and that's like the first he thing He is basically that comes Master Miller. Can I also just reference something that's not really spoilery, but this just made me wet myself with laughter. In the first episode, um, without going into great detail, Noriko has a moment of overcoming a trial. And as she's in the process of realising she can perform this, all of the characters look like this close-up shots their faces. We get a close-up of coaches, and his aviators sparkle. <laughs> There's like a little shine in the corner. And I was just like, that's amazing. It's so cheesy, but I don't dislike it. I like that the show embraces the cheese yeah. when it needs to. You know, I like that stuff. Like, there's this moment. There's a moment later on that's not again really spoilery because it's not really plot related. But I know this is going to sound strange, but there's a moment in which the girls are in a spa. We'll call it a space spa because that's really what it is. Spice. Is it? <laughs> is the, spa- yes. Spice. Yes. <laughs> spa- Look right, the, the, look right. It's a unilateral effort. It's not entirely made of Russian spa it's, earlier. It, um, it's a space spa with clear windows, by the way. Yeah, but this is the, this is the thing that this is the thing that made me laugh. Right, like people are probably going to call me out on this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like the girls are in there, but naked, and they're in, you know just in the private company, and then there are like three guys in robot suits <laughs> who accidentally fly past, and they look in. And I laugh my ass off at this, not because it's funny, you know, to perv on girls, but it's funny because the problems that they experience are entirely preventable in regular life. Yeah, and they keep reoccurring, like just Don't in new build things. Build a space like. spot right next to a window, a giant window. Look, right. My point is that. I don't condone the actions of the men. I don't condone the notion that, you know, this should still be a thing that goes on in the future. I just found it amusing that present-day problems, even <laughs> minor and stuff like that, reoccurs just in new contexts where they're in spacesuits. Like, the girls would have no reason to think anyone would be, you know, peeping because, well, space is pretty dangerous, last I checked. You're not going to be going outside on the halls to go and get your jollies off, to be quite honest. I mean, imagine if you just unzipped your, you know, your spacesuit just, and you're like, oh, shit. This was a terrible idea. There's a lot in this show. Oh, uh, I'm just segueing into something else. There's a lot in this show that some people might call uh, fan service. I yes. Let me drop another bomb. Multiple bombs. About five to ten percent of this is actual fan service. I would agree. The spa scene being that five to ten percent. No, no, no. The spa scene is not. What is, what would be fan service would be, I don't know, the spoiler and spoiler, but the spa scene is not. The spa scene, I would, not even close. Why, why, at, would, you, can, why would you say that? Okay, so uh, minor spoilers for what happens in like the second episode or whatever. Is the girls... Okay, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. The girls are at the spa. You know, they're butt naked, they're with each other. It kind of goes to show like that they they are comfortable with each other to some degree. Mm. Okay. Yes. And so it shows it shows the relationship with the characters. And then the new character also shows up butt naked. The viewer at that point feels exactly the way the main characters feel, which is uncomfortable. Because you see a new character who's just butt naked right in front of you. 
it's you get a very good feeling of what the characters themselves would be feeling in another situation where like that like say if they were fully clothed uh the scene would not have been as effective at show at like giving the viewer that sort of emotion what if there were things conveniently covering up their <laughs> It would not have changed the scene at all. It would not have changed it. They shot it without showing the gratuitous nudity, which I don't have a problem with. It's not gratuitous. Well, I don't have a problem with the nudity. I just, I feel like it's at least partially. If anything, it's, it's, if anything, it's mostly tasteful and it's rarely sexualized. Yeah. It, it makes sense in context. And the, the thing is for me, like I, I actually prefer that, like, if you're going to put something in, at least go all in with it. Like, don't, like, no, show side boob or cut off to black or just, like, you know, have characters run away whenever they see, like, a girl, like, you know, with a bra or something. Like, be, be honest. Up, and then there's, yeah, like, a pot proud. of plant covering things up. Yeah, yes. Censorship. They're in a spa. Where's the censor steam? Cinematography. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like... There's like an uncanny valley of fan of um of fan service to me, like where you go to the point where you know you get side boob or under boob, whatever, and I'm just like, no, now you're just taking the piss. You 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 don't want to go all in. You don't want to like show that you're you feel ashamed of the work that you're creating almost, but you still want to put it in there. So you kind of come across as a hypocrite. I don't know. Like I I've had really so, strong reactions to fan service before, like because they put it into store. Oh, I was sorry, just going to say so. I would feel exactly the way Vorgalia does if um the peeping toms hadn't shown up because then i feel like oh okay this was this was what the scene was about like that kind no, of no it feel- dissolved that- the uh, tension though because uh, then because then they very quickly become friends the the, the characters it just served to dissolve some tension they, so i've i've forgotten the order of things yeah yeah it happens at the end it it's it's the closing moment then it's just meant to provide a bit of comic relief aren't they the yeah. before, before no the they're not no they she up? She shows up butt naked for the first time to talk to them. That's that not happens really the friendly. first time. Yeah, she's not. That's the point. That's what <laughs> I know. I know. I'm saying I'm imitating her character. It's like, oh, when I'm outside of my robot, I'm very friendly. Oh, okay. I thought you. I thought I was gonna have to kick you in the face. <laughs> oh boy, we've not even got to the. We, we've not even got to the. Sh- we've. <laughs> We've not even got to the show yet on which you both disagree on. Uh, what the fuck's gonna happen then? Yeah, Is no, this gonna be like you make a good case? I'm, I think I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For yeah, for me, the the point the my, the cutoff point for uh fan for fan service is being presented to titillate, to to as sexualized, and I didn't feel that the nudity that was presented in the show was really to give someone an erection it had other sort of uh subtext it had it was tasteful it was generally very good outside of a, a few scenes so if anyone yep. calls this fan service uh <laughs> you're just uncomfortable with nudity that's just what it is right i think if anything like the fucking uniforms are more fan servicey and exploitative than the the shots and the nude <laughs> i am actually in i'm in agreement with you at docs as why are they like just slightly, all the walking around in this <laughs> slightly but like i should i should i should just for clarification i want to point out like i'm just arguing this in an academic way like 
whether it's fan service or not, like if, if it's all, like, I don't have a problem with fan service. Like I'm, I'm totally cool with it, but again, yeah, I'm just approaching this from a, like yeah. sort of definitional academic standpoint, but sorry, go ahead. Shadon. I don't remember. Uh, there's a guy that shows up. Does he like have, uh, just, uh, no legs, like no, no pants or something. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a, a Borat yeah, mankini! No, Tor, I don't think Torrin Smith Cause, does. Because I, I was I was gonna Coach make doesn't. like <laughs> I was gonna make some sort of an argument about oh, needing freedom of movement, but yeah, I saw the outfits as more of like an aesthetic element. That's mostly you mentioned its roots in sports anime, so it's kind of an aesthetic sort of choice to me. I did not really see a reason sure, to second sense. guess it like oh is this fan service oh is this whatever because it's it's fine it's nothing like it didn't stand out to me in that way i did i didn't i didn't mind i just i just found it odd because i thought okay i see why you'd wear that in let's say a tennis show such as aim for the ace because that's the thing that you wear oh, but this is a military and i just thought hmm but 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 that entire point I just made did not yeah, detract it, from no, me enjoying the I show. Just, I just no way. contributes to the the sort of mishmash of styles. It, I a hundred percent agree with you. Like it's it's yeah. a, it adds yeah like I agree a good flavor. It's yeah. it's a kind of yeah. unique thing. Like mm. girls in gym clothes in space. You know. Yeah, pretty There's much. Coach in his tracksuit. <laughs> his aviators indoors all the time. <laughs> his coach driving a bike. <laughs> With to face a robot down the beach, like, I just thought, I just watched that and I thought this is this, this is, is wonderful. This is people who knew this was eighties before the eighties was even over. Like, like it almost felt like it became yes. self-aware. I would argue it was self-aware. You know what? I, I would agree, especially given I'm. I admittedly did watch Swellgo, but like, did they not have like some sort of like ridiculous Joe Esposito esque? Like montage music to that as well. Pretty sure they did. Yeah, they did. If they've not, I'm guaranteeing you somewhere on YouTube there will be that scene with, let's say, Spando Ballet Gold set to it. Rocky shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, you you got it. So did like um when the coach had his like hat on, did he look like a janitor or did he look like a janitor? (laughs) (laughs) He did totally look like a janitor. Holy shit, coach. Come on. Oh my He only God. knows two he knows the janitor look and he knows like the traditional samurai look. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright. Let's let's uh well. let's move on to Die Buster. <sighs> Die Buster. Hey, it's okay, Vogue. I'm handling I'm handling this one. You know, I really did like the Die Buster sort of uh interstitial uh, the thing for commercial breaks. That was really nice from the show. I'm just, oh, you know, I just want to start out positively. I like that little jingle. <laughs> that was font. a nice. They thing. used a good font. <laughs> that was a nice wow. jingle. I, I on the one hand appreciate your effort, but also if that's the thing that you pick out, I, I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on the rest of it. Okay, okay, right. I need to give, I need to give a plot summary. So let me get started. <clears throat> so. There is a girl um, called Nonori. I'm just going to call her Nono for the sake of not slurring my tongue so much, because my voice is a go. And I know Dalvar Gelliot will, no doubt Dalvar will at some point make 
Volgelia <laughs> will make she the will joke at some you point that, shit. you know, Gumbus. No, she'll say that Diabus. Hey, no, that's no. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I knew it. You... I know you too well, Vog. Okay, so anyway, um, this is in the same continuity as Gunbuster. Now, we're not going to spoil the events of Gunbuster here, but let's suffice to say that it takes place after uh, Gunbuster. So, there's a girl named Nono, and she's a pink-haired, fairly happy-go-lucky spirited girl with the goal of going into space and becoming a pilot because it's awesome. And so she sets off from her home one day to go meet a pilot that already... Working, working in a shitty dive bar. I know, right? A dive bar run by Jill Stingray after she left like, Valhalla. With the, well, you know what? <laughs> uh, I don't, yes. It, no, it literally is fucking Jill Stingray. Like, I thought it was Jill like five years on because they have the same yep, color hair yep, and everything. Yep, yep. Yeah. So she works in a bar um, and it's a pretty crappy menial job. And she, of course, wants to become a pilot. So she wants to go meet a pilot um, in order to, you know, be inducted into the Space Force. Because without getting into spoilery detail, the, mon- the war with the monsters is not over. Um, you probably guessed that because obviously she's not going to end up going into space to start delivering, I don't know, right. dominoes <laughs> L- to like, the moon or whatever. <laughs> yeah, she's not She's not doing the, you know, the space equivalent of Uber. Let's put it that way. So, Nono um, ends up running into a girl or a woman named uh, Lal C. And there's a long, she has a longer name, but for the sake of simplicity, much in the Lark, same. Uh, Lark Melkmar. Lark Melkmar. That sounds almost like a lactose product. Like it sounds like something that I would use in baking a cake. So you could you can say lark or lark. Okay. Either one. I will say lark then. So lark, she is a pilot of a gunbuster machine. Um, the gunbuster machine, of course, we mentioned featured in the original gunbuster show, and take a shot every time I say that in this. But there are new generations of gunbuster machines, and she is the pilot of one called D Snoof, and. What happens then is through a series of events that happen in which a space monster is discovered um, on the planet they're on, I don't believe it's... It's uh, Mars. It's, it's Mars. Mars, yeah, that's it. Thank you. I was I was hoping you would save me that. Whew! Oh, I almost forgot. <laughs> Jesus, nice save. Um, through a series of events that happen with them discovering a space monster on Mars, uh, Nono is revealed to not be exactly who we believe she is. She's certainly not a regular, um, you know, someone who scrubs the floors <laughs> in the bar. There's more to her than that. And so... Uh, Lark takes her in, mainly to try and figure out what she is, and then things kind of go a bit bananas from there on out without getting into too much detail. Um, let's say that, from my perspective, um, I if I had to give Wasting of Character to Spectacle in Gunbuster, I would say it was probably 70-30 in the favour of Character to Spectacle. Diebuster swings it in the opposite direction. For me, personally, I'm going to stress that right now. I'm not going to pretend that that's, like, the objective truth. Oh! I would go 50-50, oh! but I, I see where you're coming from. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Go on. Go on. How dug in are your I... nails right now into your skin? See, I feel like um, Die Buster sort of uh, has some half-hearted attempts at getting characters in, but just kind of drops them very quickly. Oh, so I would no. give it, say, an, uh, an 85-15 in favor of Spectacle. Like the amazing, well-developed Gunbuster characters that last throughout the entire show. <laughs> I mean, Eat. like, I the, the cat... Oh, I love the cast of characters in Diebuster so much more. <laughs> 
so much more. Let's save that for the spoiler in depth stuff. But yes, okay. okay. So I just wanted to. The you thing I just wanted to say. Cannot is that the, see no, my no, face, um, but you can totally see my face. <laughs> the the no no <laughs> the no no Lark relationship is meant to mirror and reflect the Noriko Amano relationship yeah. from Gunbuster. She's you know, Lark is Nono's uh, Onesama. Yeah, we we we'd like to mention that Amano is uh, the senpai of that of Gumbus, but yes. And she's just very much like she she's. I think Lark is a lot more like. Uh, she's. I think she's younger, uh, and less mature than Amano was. Uh, a less a less capable like leader, and so she's a lot more like you know get away from me no no don't call me your big sister so it's it's reflective but it's not exactly the same yeah i mean i will i will point out something here which is that the relationships do have a different foundation in that we see the first time that um lalk and no no meet whereas of course amino and um noriko may not necessarily have been close friends at the start of gunbuster but they at least knew of each other prior to that and they weren't also, I should stress, like either of them in the Space Force immediately, where Lalt was already established as a um, gunbuster pilot. So it was a topless. Ah, uh, okay. Let me dive. Let, let let me discuss the topless. So first off, that's a strange term to use, and it made me think. Wait, are you telling me that they're going to literally use the pun that they go topless, as in, you know? And then they do. And then they did. And then they did. And I was just like, is that the reason they picked the name for that? I don't no. know. No, it's not. I don't no, no, know. No. So it's be well, do you know why they picked the name? Um feel free to tell me. I I probably Okay, so I mean there's a couple there's a couple reasons like it is um meant to be a, a play on words for, you know, aim for the top. Uh, and destroying these everything are, that these are busters stood for. These are <laughs> These are top lists, so like there are um, the limits on the top part of their frontal lobe are not yet like sort of set and formed, and so because it is topless, it is limitless. Without that, is the source of their their power, the sort of their the adolescence and their brain development being in the state that it is. Yes, and so that's why they wear a limiter on their forehead. Mm. Their frontal lobe is. Yep. Um, the topless are actually a group of individuals who um, have these abilities, um, which include such things as telekinesis. Um, it's through which they actually pilot the gunbuster machines that they have, uh, all of which are unique creatures, I would argue. Like, the gunbuster machine oh, yeah. in, the, in the original, I got the impression, was pretty much an entirely mechanical creation. Yeah, yeah. But these, the, the, the gunbuster one machines in Diebuster are very much alive. I feel like they definitely took the opportunity of, like, you know... The fact that the original Gunbuster didn't come out and say one way or another, they took the opportunity to kind of spin the story in the direction that they wanted to. You know what I mean? Because I don't think Anno had that in mind either. Yeah, I think to be fair, it's one of those things as well, like where I mentioned way back when in Macross Frontier, where you have to remember that events precede, you know, certain things. So while they're not strictly speaking the same kind of machine, they might be named Gunbusters in honor of what happened previously. Doesn't necessarily mean they're a natural mm. extension of the same technology. Yeah, that... For sure. Yeah. So the topless are, are, are basically a, a bunch of um, psychics, telepaths. They have these abilities and they use them to pilot these machines, which they use to fight the space monsters, which are still around. Yeah. They're part of a group called the Fraternity. Correct. I think that like um, that all the topless led by these two strange people. Oh, do you mean? Oh, you mean the kid? You mean the kids I mean, from the end of Akira? 
Kartoffel <laughs> potato? Yeah, yeah. You mean name after food because funny? I love that character. <laughs> that was my favorite character. Okay, okay. So they they fight against the monsters, and without going into detail about the events that follow after Nono's arrival, because um, we'll say that for Spark a bit, it's worth mentioning that the mate, the way they treat the whole situation has changed dramatically from In Gunbuster. In Gunbuster, it was very, this is the end of everything as we know it. Like, the stakes kept getting higher, quite like, in a very numerical sense. But at this point, they seem more concerned about high scores. And I don't mind that, because that obviously shows a shift in the culture towards what's going on. Like, you know, oh, it's business as usual. We can handle one or two of these things, no problem. But, you know... Yeah, I th- I think that they do at that point, at a point in the Oh, story. yes, but that does change. But it's just yeah. something I felt was worth mentioning as a comparison. Like, there is definitely, there's been a, sh- like, you can take away from that that yeah. there has been a yeah, decline I mean, in the threat. Yep. For the moment. I mean, think about, moment. like... um. So, so for the first set of girls in Gunbuster, like presumably, like this is—I don't know. Well, no, they grew up with it too. I don't know. I was gonna say that like people like Nicola and Lark have grown up with it, so maybe it's not a big deal to them. But I, the other kids did too because, you know, Noriko's dad was a war hero in against the same kind of deal. But I don't know. Maybe the fact that it's been around so long, like you said, influenced the culture as a whole. Hmm. Yeah, you definitely, after, I think it's set a few thousand years after Gunbuster. So Mm -hmm. at at that point, having uh, the the technology to travel space and see other stuff, at that point, you would sort of imagine that humanity is generally uh, desensitized to aliens attacking, because Mm -hmm. after a few thousand years, that's kind of commonplace now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, that's, that's definitely true. I just felt it was worth mentioning, because we... You have to remember that we as the audience zip in at this point, ironically enough, so many thousands of years after where we left off, wouldn't you believe? And, yeah, and the, the, hint, hint. And, yeah, and the entire sort of uh, tone is different. Everyone is more carefree. You have more yeah. sort of moe ca- uh, characters. It's much more average. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth saying as well <laughs> that, the re- that this is also a part of the topless culture because they compete with each other, they have a lot of pride invested in this, and that plays a part later on. So it's not just yeah. simply well, for the audience to say, but it's also establishing some ca- conflict that comes down the line. So I think that's really interesting what Vorelia just brought up about the the style of the characters. Not um, just the characters, everything. A, a, right. So like a, a smarter person about anime than me on their podcast was talking about these shows and made the point that Gunbuster, both one and two, are intentionally reflective of the trends in anime. Ex- except, that would make sense. Except uh, I feel like there's not that much out more to Die Buster to really make any sort of commentary in anime trends. It just comes off as, as even if it is, trying to mirror anime trends to for whatever purpose... It just comes off as what it's trying to mimic. So it's like, oh, it's trying to mimic some average anime tropes. Yeah, that's what it ends up being to begin with. Uh, Gunbuster, probably, yeah. But Gunbuster had quite a bit of depth to go with it. It mixed, like we said, mixed quite a lot of genres and elements from different things and tied them up in a very deep sort of story. 
and world. Diebuster kind of lacked that same depth. Diebuster uh, made did not oh, really make on, that much sense. It just felt like it. What it did had no real purpose. That's we'll save that oh, for the gosh. spoilers. We'll we, s- like man, I I want to respond to everything, but it's not the time, and we'll be here all night. <laughs> but 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 yeah yeah, and I, also I should say that I don't I actually don't know if that's like I. I don't think that, you know, after watching these a few times, I'm not sure that I agree that they were intentionally, you know, trying to reflect, like, maybe, you know, they're a product of their times, but I don't think that they were like, oh, man, what's the new hotness in anime right now? Let's put it in. Because being familiar with, like, the directors and studios work, like, both of them just seem like, of course they made this. Like, it's a step in their growth. Hmm. There's one final thing I want to say before we move away from this, um, although I will open the floor to Doc, uh, adding in anything he feels I missed. I want to talk very briefly about the character design of Lalk and Nono. And the reason I want to bring this up is because I don't know if this is intentional or not, but I need to reference Guilty Gear XR's sign here. And I'll explain why. So... Because they they both look like soul bad guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they totally do. Mm-hmm. But I was watching this show, and then following watching it, I completely unrelated was watching some content related skills here. And I thought, wait a minute, why am I getting deja vu? <laughs> and my immediate reaction was, I did. I have to wonder, did the people at Arc System Works who designed Ramlafal and Elfel base some of their physical characteristics off Lal and Nono, and then some elements of the relationships between the two? I'm genuinely not sure. Like, I'm only offering this as an observation and maybe I am completely talking out my ass. But I don't know. Like, when, you, when you've when you got, like, you know, girl with pink hair and girl with white hair, you know, but who have the same matching skin tones as their respective comparisons here, who have a sisterly relationship, you know, and one sacrifices, you know, for another <gasps> at the end of a particular plot line. Uh, spoilers, spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Who cares? Never mind. Yeah, spoilers for Guilty Gear. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who, gives, who gives a fuck about that? So that's my that's my thing, right? Like, I just thought, huh? Wouldn't you know? Yeah, no, I think like for a spoiler-free overview, I mean, we probably I I probably threw out too many digressions, but but I think we covered probably all the the major points. You know, it's this this group of you know psychics that can control the Buster machines that the Buster machines sort of choose you know fighting back against the aliens there's there's a a a few twists in die buster like there are a few sort of seismic shifts in the political uh landscape and like how the world is situated the chess pieces move or rearranged a couple times before the end and like gunbuster there's a giant spectacle at the end and uh as you mentioned before they're um they are in the same continuity and you know, at the end of this show, at the end of Die Buster, they tie back in to the Gunbuster continuity, and uh, it's wonderful. Hmm. Uh, so, Vorgalia, let's talk about recommendations. Who would you recommend these titles? I, to? I, w- I would, I would recommend Gunbuster to pretty much anyone who likes science fiction, anyone who likes, uh, you know deep 
sort of stories pretty much anyone really it maybe not so much people who want spectacle there's not a lot of spectacle although you could get some out of it but it's it really feels like it's not the point so gunbuster is a wonderful story and if you want a wonderful story watch gunbuster diebuster if if you're going through a happy time in your life oh god if you're satisfied <laughs> With the way things are going. I know where this is going. And just want to spice it up a little. Watch Die Buster. And then try to imagine how to live without your eyes for the rest of your life. Because you're going to want to claw them out. Oh, well, that was quite the thing. Alright, my recommendations... <clears throat> I would definitely recommend Gunbuster for a num for a number of reasons, not least of which is what we've already covered about the the character stuff, the the eighties element, the cheese sweet. Like, there's a lot to there's a lot of things in here that come together really well, and it makes it quite an endearing package. There is, however, a fault I find with Gunbuster, but I'm going to save it for the spoilery stuff. That does, if you want me to anal analogize, it's like eating a great meal, but then you only get served a small portion. Like, it left me wanting more. And Doc's probably just running around his head now now thinking, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Jesus Christ. Um, but I'll get to that. But I would otherwise absolutely recommend... Yeah, Gunbuster, I guess, could have used more lesbians. Well, what doesn't need more lesbians, to be honest? Come on, Bog. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, you are? I, a, I will explain oh, my reasoning. <laughs> wow, I can't win, can I? <laughs> I really can't. Uh, anyway, anyway, so I would definitely recommend Gunbuster. I mean, it is six episodes and change. You can fit it in no problem, and it's it's just a lot. Of, it's it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's got a lot of character heart to it. There's some very strong visual work. I mean, I've I've not we've not even brought up the design of the space creatures yet, but I'll go into that mm. later. And some very good um, direction as well. That I was very impressed with. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that if I had one problem with it, it would be that I don't feel that there's a strong enough conclusion to Noriko's arc, and I know that there's probably immediate alarm bells going off here, and like, what the fuck? But no, I will okay. explain that later. Um, but, but, definitely recommended. Die Buster. Okay. I'm going to make the food analogy again. Die Buster, in my opinion, is a nice slush. It's really nice, I don't think it's that nutritious. Don't try and take in too much of it at once, and you, otherwise you will get a headache. I don't regret my time with it. I enjoyed some, some elements of it immensely, but I wasn't left attached to it in the same way as I was with Gunbuster. And maybe I confess, maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe I'm not opening up to it as much as I should do. I didn't hate it. There was one particular moment in it that I really intensely disliked. Um, funnily enough, it actually feels very familiar to a moment that we discussed in the very first Anno film we discussed with that unfortunate black mark, and Doc's probably now also thinking, oh. So, I would recommend it if you enjoyed Gunbuster enough that you wanted more. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, you you know exactly. I was going to mention, I was actually going to mention that in the story, but then I was like, that's too specific a detail for the plot synopsis. Yes, so <laughs> we're going to get to that. I want to bring that up. That I Well, okay, wait a minute. There are two, I think there are two moments like that. One annoys me, the other I think is is actually really um well i i mean i I thought it was i thought it was a good moment for you know for the characters but we can go there later yeah i have a feeling i think i know which too much your phrase but we'll come to that anyway later i will also explain why i hate die buster so much (laughs) i guess like okay i've like no i've i (laughs) I know i've done this bit um for like two hours now but I'll give some explanation. Let's let's save it. For, let's save it for the spoilery stuff because this is just general recommendations. So I I would recommend Die Buster if you really like Gunbuster. And as I've said before, I don't regret the time that I spent with Die Buster. It was it was a fun ride that just didn't hold onto my heart in the way that Gunbuster did. But I still likes him. So all told win-win i guess like i take the like if you've not already gathered from listening to the cast folks and the comments that we've all made borg obviously has very strong dislike of die buster but quite likes gunbuster doc likes both i kind of sit somewhere in the middle and you know what if nothing else like wherever we take away from this particular work if it actually produces this kind of ice opinion it actually is all the more fascinating as a result at least in my opinion like it's all well and good, you know, for everyone to agree universally that a work is great or the work is shit. But to me, part of the, what makes art interesting is that you can have divisive opinions on the same thing. That's what art is intended to do, to make you think, you know. To make you fight. And that as well. <laughs> but that's all I will say on the matter for the time being. And now I'm going to hand it over to uh, El Soto Doctoro, or whatever you want to call him. Uh, I don't know the Spanish thing. I apologize for that terrible joke. <laughs> None of us speak Russian. I'm very tired. Don't Ignore even me. try. You're you have you have to sit in the penalty box now. I don't think I've ever <laughs> left it. Oh God! All right. Uh, would I recommend these titles? Uh, absolutely. Um, I think that they are both amazing, wonderful works of science fiction. Uh, I think that they like appeal to mecha fans like if you're a robot person um especially super robot person uh i think that these are pretty essential viewing both from like in terms of like the stories themselves being excellent and uh also historical significance of the principal creators involved and the studio i i like gunbuster an awful lot i think it's very well done it it left me a little bit cold even though i think it's an a wonderful production and a, a fantastic story with a just killer ending um it, it did lift left me it did leave me feeling rather uh a little i, I was a little cold a, a tad bit i didn't like you said warm up to it as much as i thought i would as much as i think it's good and like it whereas die buster i like really fell head over heels for almost immediately um, it's one of my most favorite things in anime. Like I would consider it a top five show for me personally. I love what it does. I love its characters, its messages. I love the way that it brings together the old and new Gainax. Uh, I love the way that it incorporates all the different Gainax stories and shows. 
I love the character arcs. I love that the ending is fucking unbelievable, both in terms of the spectacle, that amazing character arc conclusion, and the way that it ties itself back into the original Gunbuster, like, is just a fucking thing to behold. Every time I see that, I get chills. And I've seen Die Buster a fucking bunch of times. It gives me chills the end every single time. So these both get my highest recommendation. Um, I think you you kind of have to see them both. Like, you can't see Die Buster and get the full out of it without seeing Gunbuster. Oh, I would and agree definitely with Gunbu- that. And if you see Gunbuster, see the story through to its conclusion and watch Die Buster. Mm. There's absolutely no... Um, no no reservations for me in my recommendations. If you watch Gunbuster, you should watch Die Buster. No joke there. No joke. None. I actually had to pause there for a second. I was like, where's the punchline? <laughs> I thought I misheard you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of experiences. I feel like watching Die Buster after Gunbuster was an experience of... Not a pleasant one. And not like, oh, this is so bad. But like... <laughs> it's, is it the, it's the, dis- the Old Hunters DLC it's, it's to the, the, the main game Bloodborne? It's <laughs> the progression. I, I feel like just for the final moments of Die Buster, anyone who watches Gunbuster should watch Die Buster just for the final moments of Die Buster. Not they're because so they're good. good. They are good, but because of their ah. of what they are surrounded by, which yes, which I kind of places yeah. them into like perspective. It makes you appreciate Gunbuster so much. Yeah. Um, can I pose a quick question to you, Varg, then? Do you feel you would have come do you feel like you would have come down on Die Buster less negatively if you had not watched it so soon after Gunbuster? I mean to say like that you of course were seeing Gunbuster first, but you would have had more time. That is true. There's a 15 year gap for most people. Um, I mean, if I had forgotten about most of Gunbuster, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like... Okay, but, that's yeah, like, that, that, uh, I don't think... I would have hated Die Buster as much if I hadn't watched Gunbuster, but I will get into this later. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there you have it. There's a summary of the shows and whether or not we feel you should watch them. Uh, I think we all feel that you should probably watch them. The intensity of those feelings. Yeah. Only only watch Die Buster if um, you if you watch Gunbuster. That's my sentiment. So I mean. Uh, to be fair, I would I would agree. And if nothing else, just because you won't know what's going on. You won't know what's going uh, on. It doesn't matter, but I guess. So, we're going to take a break now. And hello, and welcome to the second inaugural edition of Vorgelia Reads Fanfiction here on Warrior Show, the most eloquent and articulate of all known anime podcasts across the digital landscape that is the verdant garden of the internet. And today... I now believe you in the very capable hands of the First Lady of Waridesho, Volgalia. Stop. Stop. You're furiously masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. 
that was the, the best. Golf clap did sound like that, didn't it? <laughs> That's the that was the best fanfic I've ever heard. <laughs> well, that's it. How dare you, you such bullshit! Sonic's evil twin, by S the Hedgehog. Wow. It's S H E G E, hog, not real hedgehog. It's it's heggy hog, <laughs> but well, it's 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 a style. It's a. It, it's fucking spelt wrong, is what it is. Sonic's. Evi twin. What? This uh, it's evil, but without the L at the end. Oh right, is that all? Is that alternative? You know, I'm I'm spelling out the way the author intended this to be heard. You know, e yeah, Evi, Evi. You know, uh, it's uh, opinions vary between scholars, but I'm going with uh, Evi since it. A bigger sort of amount of people seem to support this spelling. Disclaimer! I am sorry to say, but I do not own any of the characters in this story except S the Hedgehog. Can I can I just say that I thought he was gonna Can I just say I thought he was gonna say I'm sorry to say I actually wrote this? <laughs> not that self-aware. Oh if only, if only. Chapter he owns, 1. He owns S the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> but he does. Mm. But he's... Uh, and unfortunately, not the rest. They would be in good hands if he did, but unfortunately, you know, the world is unfair. <laughs> Who's that Pokemon? <laughs> it's S. <laughs> wow. Chapter 1. The birth of S the Hedgehog. Oh, Jesus. It's a boy, said the Doctor. The doc Sonic, uh, look. Doc Doctor? No, the Doctor. Well, to be fair, Doctors are quacks. Hey! Sorry. I've taken it's, off it's, my glasses. It's, it's, it's with an <laughs> E. Come on, are you, are you gonna, like, do you not understand what the author is trying to do with this spelling? Uh, fuck not, up like, miserably? Get... Fail? Do you not get the, the, the unique style? I think, well, whatever. Uh, if you're uneducated, I'm not gonna even bother. Sonic, look, you have a twin brother. I was going to name him after you, but I decided to name, but I decided to name him S, S the Hedgehog. Wow. <laughs> Just in case you haven't noticed, this is back in the past when Sonic was only one. Wait, 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 wait. If he's a twin brother. Yeah. Then yeah. he should have just been born. Yeah, I was, but he's I, already one year old. <laughs> I was going to pause right there to explain this, but apparently, Sonic is having a retroactively twin brother. Uh, it's born one year after Sonic. <laughs> and a long birth. They're process. twins. <laughs> <laughs> just giving birth. That's a, a that's a really spicy hospital bill. <laughs> They didn't put enough baking soda in. Any day now. The, the worst labor of all Mrs. time. Mrs. Hedgehog. <laughs> By the way, okay, they were gonna name the twin after the other twin. <laughs> what the uh, fuck? Right? Right? <laughs> I mean... Ah! <laughs> that's, that's just got me. Ah! Here, Sonic... Why don't you hold your new twin brother? Okay. Okay! 
As Sonic grabbed his new brother, he realized that he was trying to say something. Mommy, mommy, I think he's trying to say something. Okay, let's listen and see if we can tell what he is trying to say. We are robots. Bi bitch. <laughs> bitch. <laughs> bitch. Said S as Wait, he pointed what? at Sonic. What? What? what is Sonic's twin brother Cartman? <laughs> Sonic looked like he just got sat by sat on by Eggman, or better known as Fat Ass. <laughs> <laughs> what is that his stage name? Is that what he goes by when he's out on the tiles? <laughs> Is that his Tinder profile? My name's Eggman, but you can call me Fass. <laughs> when he goes out in Casino Zone. Oh my god. Mommy, did he just call me the B word? Well, of course, Sonic. If everyone else knows that you're a bitch, then why wouldn't he? But Mommy! <laughs> god. No wow. buts. This favorite is. You're just. You're just going to have to live with the fact that you are a, a big blue bitch. <laughs> Two years later. <laughs> Great transition. <laughs> you thought you thought the transition between Gunbuster and Diebuster was cool? Both of them use side dilation. Mom! Mom! Look! I just ran around the world in three days! So who cares? Fuck you, Jillsburg! Your, your brother... <laughs> your brother just ran around the world in one and a half days, and he is one year younger than you. You really must be one slow-ass hedgehog to get beat by your brother who is only three. Oh yeah! Well, well, look well, how well, high well, it can well, jump! Whoa, 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 back up, back up, back up. Back up, back up. It's been two years oh, since the kid shit. was born, but he's free? Cringing <laughs> so hard! Wow. <laughs> so bad! This self-insert is so strong, I feel like I'm the one who's being fucks over. Holy shit! I didn't even see that spin. Oh yeah? Well, look how high it can jump! Your brother jumped three times that high yesterday. Well, can he do this? Sonic pulled out the seven Chaos Emeralds that he found in his run around the world and transformed into Super Sonic for only three seconds, <laughs> then fell on his ass. Whoops. Ha! Can he do that? Well, let's see. S, come out here. Yes, Mom. Can you turn gold and fly? It's gone through puberty already, too. <laughs> Before it's the time dilation. I mean, he was, he, he, he was three a few minutes ago, but now he's seven. Yes. yes, actually, watch. Right then, S then transformed into Super S for about ten seconds, and without the Chaos Emeralds. <laughs> You, Does Knuckles. it answer your question, Sonic? Yes. Uh, what's their... 
Uh, what's the matter, Sonic? Are pissed off that I am better than you in just about everything? How old is S now? Like, is he gonna be like 20? <laughs> Said S in a little conniving voice. <laughs> oh, don't worry, S. One of these days I will find something that I'm better than you at. Well, when you do, give me a call. <laughs> End of chapter one. <laughs> wow. Well, I... That that it was sorta good, but I will let you be the judge of that. So review, and if you want, give me some suggestions about what the next chapter should be about. Until the next chapter, see you later. Alright, we are now back to talk some more anime, some more Gunbuster Diebuster, and... If you haven't seen either or both of these, I would say eject, eject, eject. Get out now. Uh, we are about to spoil the fuck out of both of these uh, and probably get into heated discussions, maybe? I'm going to be, but... du I'm ducking out of sight. <laughs> like, right. I'm in the Fallout shell right now. I mean, the first question that we have on our agenda is which is better, but I don't feel like we actually need to state our opinions on it because i we've already those have already come out into the open so we ran a poll it's our most successful ever poll i think um it got two, 227 votes which i think is possibly all our listeners did we have did did we have anyone running scripts again like some certain time previously <laughs> did we have anyone <laughs> bending the results no you know names what? That's mentioned probably there's no way we have 200 listeners, you're right. <laughs> How many Twitter accounts did you make? I voted once, and I voted for Gunbuster. That's be before I even saw the anime. Like, holy <laughs> shit, I, I picked randomly, but I made the good decision. <laughs> you, okay. Because so I just is, wanted to see the results. This whole thing is just a justification of your, <laughs> of your vote, isn't it? Oh my god. You're posturing. I, yeah, if, if I, I ever die it. and someone goes through my feed and sees, like, holy shit, did you vote for Gunbuster? <laughs> so the results of these 227 votes are Gunbuster winning the poll. 62% of people thought it was better, and 38% voted for Diebuster. That's not quite the landslide that I was expecting. No, it's... um. It's very much like the opinion. I, I I used to think it was pretty one-sided as well um, before I got involved in Anna Twitter. Because... Yeah, for Die Buster. No, no, no. I used to think it was like, be because anime podcast land and people that, a lot of people that wrote for big anime sites and magazines back when I thought this had been longtime anime fans and were very biased toward the first Gunbuster. It's the first one they saw. Um, they, a lot of them were like kind of meh on modern anime, but 80s anime Gunbuster, they loved. So I thought everyone loves Gunbuster more, but when I first came out and was like, you know, hey, I like Diebuster, a bunch of people came out of the woodwork and were like, yeah, Diebuster's better. And I was like, holy shit, I can't believe people agree with me. I was shocked. Never, never run for president. I will read some comments that we got for this poll mm -hmm. uh, at Spiritus Knox SA 
says, SMH at Die Buster not crushing this. Ooh, I saw that one. I saw that one. I've been looking for you. <laughs> and they go they <laughs> they go on to say, I mean, Anno did damn fine directing work with Gun, but I just like Die's cast so much more. <laughs> Die's cast. Oh my yep. Jesus Christ. Also, great pun, and I agree with you. <laughs> Let's see. Um <laughs> At Talon BG, screen screenshotted the poll when Gunbuster was winning sixty nine to thirty one, and simply says, "Nice." <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's all we'll that's all we'll read. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for who voted. Oh, yep, yeah, thank you very much to everyone who participated in that. Um, especially the numbers as well. Like, good, good to see people get engaged. Let me let me offer a perspective on this, right? I think that you can compare the two and say one's better than the other. But I think it's worth pointing out that one show, in my opinion, does some things better than the other. And I'm going to cite a specific example of this that I want to bring up. So, now that we're in spoilers section, by the way, this is no holds barred. Set phases to spoilers. This is all in. (laughs) All right? Oh, spoiled. Right in the heart. Well, you know, I always aim true. Unless we're making shit up, but that's very occasionally. Anyway, point being, at the end of Gunbuster, uh, there's a very large battle between humanity and the space monsters. And generally speaking, the episodes of Gunbuster have had escalating conflicts. One ship, like 200 ships, thousands of ships, like the numbers get bigger. The big problem I had with this final battle is that they actually kind of overdid it on the what they wanted to show versus what they actually could show. <laughs> Because they had to, because they had to say like how many <laughs> monsters there were and how many ships there were in text on the screen, and I'm not necessarily mad at them for this because this is not a case of you know like we're too cheap or too lazy to do that. It's just the case that they simply couldn't conv- convey that sense of billions or trillions of monsters on screen at the same time. The human mind can't draw it and comprehend it. So, the fact that they had to resort to text on that, which is, well, a violation of the classic show, don't tell, that was disappointing. But, I don't really fault them for that so much, because again, I feel they had ambition to try and go for that scale, and just then realised as they were doing it, oh, shit, we, we can't convey this. So we have to, we have to compromise. I thought it was kind of cool, for, for that, for that reason. I wrote on my notes, episode final, first point, ran out of budget, second point, (laughs) Christmas music. The credits were like five (laughs) minutes long of nothing. Yeah, uh, there was, because it really does feel like they they kind of ran out of budget. Well, to be fair, isn't that that like the Gainax of the Times big problem, if you'll allow me, because that kind of happened with Ava, (laughs) sorry to say. Yeah. Well, that was like seven years later, but but yes, I mean, like we talked about, like you know, Anno wanted to do his thing a certain way, and I'm sure, like, I'm sure that there was a way to do the things he to, to convey what he wanted to convey in a different way, but he wanted to convey it that way, and they didn't have enough money to do it. 
Well, I'm going to make a quick joke, which is just to say that it's unfortunate that Gainax, as of me watching Gunbuster are now two for two for having their endings constructed on post-it notes. So, I'm sorry, but... I don't think it was as bad. This is not as bad as Evangelion. No, the fact that that was worse <laughs> is actually all the more damning. Like, okay, we did pretty crappily on this on that ending. How can we make it worse? I'm, jo- I'm joking, I'm joking. You need to go back and rewatch that ending because... It's really good. The Evangelion ending is really good. Uh, I need I need to rewatch the whole show. That's that's something I do confess. But funny you should mention like you know how they done out money and didn't like they there was a way of doing it, and it was in Die Buster. So to explain what happens in Die Buster at the very end, there is the monsters. It turns out are not the real enemy. There are other monsters, for lack of a better term. Uh, one of which comes out of a black hole. It's a single. Yeah, those are the the same monsters that are the enemies in Gunbuster. Turn out to be the enemies at the end of Diebuster. Oh right. Like if if at first they're fighting gravity wells, but no, they turn out to be what was protecting us from the black hole monsters all along. And then because humanity became so corrupt, it confused us with them and started to fight us. We'll come back to that, but I'm, uh, the point I want to express here is that compare these two endings. We have written text and an attempt to convey massive numbers, okay? Like the Zerg, the insects from Starship Troopers. I could go on. The Zerg. (laughs) That's what they are. (laughs) No rush. No backstab. Battle battle net me, Starcraft. No no banelings. No, definitely not. (laughs) But Diebuster has a single creature, and the single creature has a very clear and unique design. Like that, I love the design of this final boss. Like, it was the most ridiculous, like, semi-Lovecraft, yet also strangely fleshy, pink-coloured abomination that you could think of. And generally speaking, like, if there's one thing I can say about Gainax is that they do monster design really, really well. Like, if I had to throw out a comparison to a show that we've discussed on this cast, like, I brought the Vajra in Macross Frontier and I liked them. But their design, in all honesty, is not anything really to write home about. I think I was more sold on the effect that they had and the sense of power they put across. The creatures in Gunbuster and Diebuster, though, are utterly alien. Like, they come across as something like H.R. Geiger would come up with if he was not quite so obsessed with phallic objects and also put a bit of splash of colour in here and there. But to go back to the point I was making, Diebuster does this better because it has a single entity that we can focus on and comprehend we're given in these shots a sense of its scale because of its size relative to the earth as well and we know what we're dealing with there we can comprehend it visually so i think that making the this statement one is better than the other is all well and good but i do think that there are certain things that one show does better than the other and vice versa i, w- I would absolutely agree that die buster does spectacle better Yes, that's my that's the full throughput of my argument. It absolutely does spectacle better. Uh, Die Buster looks great. Yes, Die Buster is one of the better looking anime I've seen ever. Really, visual design has always been a consistently strong point of um, of Gainax. Like in so many respects, like even though I haven't watched even in a very long time, I'll always remember the verisimilitude they gave to the environments. Like, things like, you know, the cigarettes in an ashtray, like, you know, all the nerve, the paranophilia, like, you know, the cockpits, the detail. And then, of course, in Wings of, I apologize for mispronouncing it, but Honomize, um, you know, the the technical detail, the clock. Honey mayonnaise. Honey mayonnaise. <laughs> wing, wings, yeah. Wing, wings of uh, Cajun mayo, great, whatever. Uh, <laughs> wing, wings we start of- an anime-themed restaurant. <laughs> Appetizer. 
Arby's of Animize, but anyway. Feature, featuring the main characters of, of Die Buster because they're all named after food. <laughs> oh, I'm not going in Smackies and ordering a nonary. Like, that's. A, <laughs> can I get a nonary, please, with a side of fries? Yeah, give me a f- baked lark. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you go to certain parts of the country in England, I'm sure you can get taiko. one of those. A taiko, bur- a taiko burger, please. Yeah. So, um, all across the board, like their visual design has always been very strong. And again, like I just think that the the main flaw for me of all of Gainax's works that I've come across is a mixture of overambition, which is not a a really awful thing. Like I would much rather people be overly ambitious than just simply like to, to bring up. Aka 13, which I recently we were watching where they had no fucking, they had no fucking ambition there. That was the most pedestrian fucking show I've ever seen. They're just like, we'll just chill. You got any ambition? Nah, we're just, just chilling for 13 episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's literally it. But that's a different topic from another time. Like, I applaud for that. And the other thing that I feel is a bit iffy is just how uneven to me some of the writing feels. And how they don't seem to necessarily follow through on certain threats. <sighs> I'll get to that later, but that's the point I always bring up in that I think that you can compare the two directly and say one's better than the other, but I do think that there's a more granular level to that where you can say, well, this does this better and this does this better. As Vaughn pointed out, like, Die Buster looks really good. So does Gunbuster, admittedly, but they do different things better than each other, in my opinion. Can I go on a, on a rant? Oh boy, buckle up, folks. Here we go. Is this, is this, is this rant time? Okay. This is more of a uh, boring press, story. Press the button. But- I watched, I had to watch Gunbuster and Diebuster um, during one of the worst periods of my life. So I went in with the intention to like just nitpick it. I was the tsundere in this relationship. Especially because of its, its subject matter. It just, I didn't want to deal with, with uh, seeing stuff. And I just wanted to hate it. So I have notes here. Ooh, protagonist just explained what's stupid about humanoid mechs. Ah, logical combat when in the next episode it measures distance and parsecs and tries to be scientific. You know, very, very tsundere stuff. All, all soon soon, no dede dede. <laughs> but it really won me over. Ah, here comes the dede dede. <laughs> <laughs> it won me over by... Proving to be much smarter than it initially looks it, by having cool characters, by doing things really well. I know Doc is not going to agree on me on like, the cool characters. Ooh, Die Buster is so much better. But Oh yeah, no, I mean, I think that they're cool. I just didn't connect to them as much. It was, I, I, I'd say they were very rounded and very relatable in a sense. Much more so than Die Buster. Anyway. I enjoyed Gunbuster quite a bit by the end. Uh, it took me a bit of time to sort of warm up to it. And it left me with a sort of a, a warm feeling inside. Mm. I immediately moved on to Die Buster. And ac- uh, across six episodes, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw pretty much everything I liked about Gunbuster be defiled be completely thrown away in favor of very standard cookie cutter anime stuff you have the the moe characters you have oh no i don't want to be your uh, anesama oh no 
I'm a kid, and I'm angry at life because my brother died, and my giant mech cannot heal people, so I'm angry. I saw this anime dig such a deep hole for itself by throwing out every single thing I liked uh, about Gunbuster out the window, and then pretending that it's still kind of an homage to it, pretending that it's still sort of trying to to be a continuation to it and i'm like I, I don't like this but i it was just mediocre I'm like uh, like in the, in the same sense that uh hitman absolution i kind of <laughs> thought it was okay Dear as a God. game <laughs> but like whenever seen in in perspective of any other hitman game it's pretty garbage but i'm 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 capable of of seeing Hitman Absolution as like a um a game of its own. And so I was capable of seeing like Die Buster as a thing of its own. It's you know whatever. It's mediocre. It's almost bad, oh, like almost boring for how uninventive it is. It kind of insults my intelligence. It with with like plot that makes absolutely no sense, characters making decisions that make no sense, and then whatever. It's it's trying to pretend that it's Gunbuster. That's adorable. Not to pretend that it's Gunbuster, but to pretend that it's the next one. Even that it could even be mentioned in the same sentence as Gunbuster, and I was willing to leave it at that. And then what happens at the end of Gunbuster is. There's this big battle happening, and the protagonist with her friend that... Which protagonist? She, no, uh, uh, Noriko. Gunbuster. Gunbuster. So, oh, yeah. are we talking Noriko. gun or die? No, I, I'm, I'm briefly going back to gun to explain okay, die. Okay, okay. Alright. So, at, at the end of Gunbuster, we have Noriko and we have uh, the other Amano. girl. Uh, Amano. I, I'm not good with names. Whatever. And... They've they fought together, they trained together, they've been they have a very sort of special kind of friendship. And in the end, they sacrifice not themselves, but their connection to this world to destroy to to make a black hole, essentially, to suck in all of the space alien monsters. But which with the side effect that time would pass much more quickly for them. So by the time they could return back to Earth, it would have been thousands of years in the future. And in the end of of in the end of Gunbuster, they make it to Earth. They they're in space. They just wonder what exactly world is like. Uh and then the entire Earth just sort of lights up it sp- with letters spelling uh, welcome, welcome back, or whatever. And it's just beautiful. And It is beautiful. Hmm. And I think it wasn't supposed to, it wasn't supposed to take them that long to get back, right? Like, there was some kind of, like, during the fight, there was, like, an error, and they, like, had made, like, a latch-stitch effort, right? No, 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 it was, I'm pretty sure it was uh, like that. But whatever, whatever, it's, it's a detail, it doesn't matter. 
fast forward to die to die buster something that was disappointing that could barely be mentioned in the same sentence as far as i'm concerned as gunbuster and in the end of in the end of die buster we see one of the characters on earth the lights all go out and then in a few seconds some lights go back like are go back like online or turned on and you see two red dots in the sky and that's it's it's the end from gunbuster the two the two heroes essentially return to earth mm. that um that moment made me cry and it was at that moment that i knew i hated diebuster with every fiber of my existence because it made me cry and it did not deserve it in the slightest. I hate this thing because it just reminded me how good Gunbuster is. All it did was spit in the face of Gunbuster by insulting everything that made it good. And then it had the audacity to directly just call it directly reference one of the greatest scenes in Gunbuster as if it deserves it. It's like I made I made a few uh I made a few comparisons. Imagine like Gunbuster is this really great Star Trek episode and Die Buster is like one of the TNG movies. Oh Jesus, you are you are you are you wait 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 are you literally comparing, let's say, the undiscovered... You are comparing the undiscovered country to Generations. Whoa, that's quite the fucking same. Gener- yeah, Generations is exactly what I'm thinking of. Uh, Generations shit. is stupid. Its plot makes no sense. There's a bunch of stupid magic in it. And there's a certain stuff that just throws science out. And, oh, hey, what is this supposed to be? It's supposed to be a continuation of a very sort of brainy space uh, sci-fi show that explores characters, explores humanity, explores a fair few very deep themes. And then you get the movie that's just someone launches a rocket in the sun and it hits there in like eight seconds. And that makes a cloud that brings you to a zone that makes you happy it's like yeah star trek uh a good star trek episode any good star trek episode or movie versus star trek generations but hey or uh, empire versus uh clone wars you know i mean all right i i sat and made no no interruptions or no talking that's a it's a much that is a much more uh, fair sort of treatment of me than I uh, gave you. Oh, okay. Where to begin? I actually, like, I think that Die Buster is the perfect sequel. I think that it builds on everything Gunbuster did and everything Gunbuster tried to do. And I think it does everything better. Um, Gunbuster does amazing stuff. But I think in, in every, almost every department, I think it's outgunned by Diebuster. It carries forward all the important themes 
the amazing limitless possibility of human potential, the coming of age story. It reflects, you know, a lot of the relationships, but puts a new twist on them. It does a really, I think it does an even better job than Gunbuster of um, communicating like the isolation and loneliness of, of heroes and people like great ones, people with great responsibility that are meant to like do great things on the stage of history. Of course, it has the hard work and gut stuff. I mean, when it comes down to it, I feel like much more than being hard sci-fi, these shows fall back on like Ganbare. We're going to do it because of hard work and guts. That's how we're going to do it. And I think like there are parts, there are parts in the, I will. So I love the cast of, of Die Buster way more. I think the personalities are larger and more outsized and they're all more lovable. Uh, and there's more of them around for longer. And I found them more relatable and more, less distant, easier to empathize with and get behind um, from the two protagonists, Nono and Lark, you know, on down to the mechanic and the sort of washed up topless pilot. And like there are parts in the middle of Gunbuster, which I just like, I just found boring and like it starts and ends really well. And there are some good scenes in the middle of Gunbuster, but there are like long kind of lulls for me. Whereas I think the middle character building stuff in Die Buster is so good and it's informed by Evangelion. And, and that was obvious to me. And it's, it's just really well done, really well cut and directed. Like the scenes between Lark and Nono in the room watching movies and their confrontations and the way that Tycho figures into it. I don't know. I just loved all that. Uh, I, I just related more and found the, di- the character dynamics more compelling. I was rooting harder. For, for these people and like also structurally I think like it it carries on that thing in Gunbuster where the first half is like pretty linear and then the second half there's a lot of like shuffling of the deck chairs rearranging of the chess pieces as I that's what I said and so like in that way in, in those like thematic ways I think they're pretty similar but again I think Die Buster the way it carries those things forward is a step up and, you know, as you both have said, like the spectacle, which I'm a big fan of, is tremendous. <laughs> I like the early battles. The midpoint battle is amazing when that moment when Nono is revealed as Buster Machine number seven. Holy shit. That was a fucking moment <laughs> when she like teleported from Pluto to Jupiter. That was fucking incredible. <laughs> I love the shit out of that. And it started playing the original Gunbuster music and she was making the pose of the Gunbuster robot. It was so fucking awesome. It was so cool. I have to admit, like in back in Gunbuster when the machine comes out and its arms are folded, <laughs> I laughed and I laughed in a good way. <laughs> and you know why I laughed? Because it gave me the impression this was like a father coming out to discipline his unruly children. <laughs> Like, what did I tell you about fighting in space? I'm going to fuck this shit up. Like, and I like that. That's right. You motherfuckers. All right. Let me offer some thoughts then on the two. Because I'm sitting in the middle here. I'm literally, you know, the stuck in the middle of you guy. Everything I said should go with the caveat that I think Gunbuster is really great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to say that I did like Gunbuster more than Die Buster, and the reason for this is is that I felt a stronger emotional connection to the characters, and the reason for that was because of the opening of the arc that Noriko was through dealing with her father. 
There is a problem with that, however. A big one. And that I don't think there's sufficient payoff for that particular arc or closure for it. It just seems to disappear in the later episodes. To me. Now, I'm not so silly as to suggest that there would be an episode where, because of the time dilation, she meets her dad again, like he's somewhere else. Like, I'll actually get into another scene in Gunbuster that was really, really, the death scene I mentioned before that, that was really effective, that I think should have been kept consistent. But I felt it would have been much better if, if we'd seen or heard or just, and I don't know, like, it, it, I'm not going to try and explain how it would be done, but I wanted to at least get a better sense that her father's death she had dealt with it and moved on and now realised her responsibility. Because the anxiety reason for her going in space was because of her father. But that's not the reason that she ends up fighting anymore, but we don't see a transition away from that. But up until that point, for me, the fact that that had been the reason that she was doing this, what gave me it gave me a connection to her. It gave me a connection to her as a character. In Die Buster, Nono wants to go to space because it's awesome. There's no real arc with her, in my opinion, or emotional connection or something to link to. Well, you know why she does, like, she can't remember why she wants to go to space, but it's her directive as a robot. Like, she's a robot that was yeah, uh, made, but... she, it was made, you know, she she was made to protect humanity. And I think, I, also, was she, was she made to meet um, Noriko? I can't. I know she obviously wanted to because she thought she she was she, cool, she, she like... knows of her. But the thing is, like that's still not sufficient. Like I don't know. Well, it's the same reason the guy wants to go to space in Oniamis. I mean, he wants well, to see the majesty of the stars, and she wants to. I mean, you know, she just has it in her to want to be a pilot. Um, that's her sort of human reason beyond the her directives as a as a robot. Yes, but I'm not actually saying this is necessarily a bad thing. I actually like the fact that it's that um, Nono is very twinkle eye. Like there's there's that particular scene when she's on the Big train dreamer. and she's got the hand like it's the close of hands on the window looking out, and I love that shot. And I'll tell you why. Yeah, because it's very easy to become jaded about the notion of going into space. Like it's one of those things we go in space all the time. It's business as usual. There was something really nice and refreshing about a character in the future who had that kind of like you know the space age 60s kind of infused. I'm like, we're going to space. This is amazing. Like, I really like that idea. It's nice to think, you know, to be reminded it is, it's good to be excited about that. But the thing about your comparison to Anonymize though is that Shiro had other things going on beyond that. He was a bum, a lazy git, basically. A fa- He was going to pay out to be a failure. You're, uh, you're a Shiro. Shirotsky. Shirotsky Ladat, sir. Ah. Yes, like that. And is there anyone else? Oh, very, very well then. Like, no one expects him to actually pull it off. And then he's dealing with other issues as well, like what happens between him and Reckony. And then also the fact that, you know, he's involved in political coups and he's basically being manipulated and used as a pawn. That doesn't... I don't see, I don't see how that's relevant. It, it's relevant because for my personal investment in the characters, that's why I was invested more of him than I was invested with Nono. Okay, okay, so you're just talking about as a character, not you're not talking about, like, the were her reasons going to space. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm talking... Oh, no, no, no. That's, no. that's the point of comparison that I'm making. Like, ah, right, yeah, right. Like, the movie Oniami's, like, is a, is a feature-length movie just about this guy. Like, he's way more fleshed out mm. as a character. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I'm not trying to say that I wasn't engaged with what Nona was doing. I just felt that 
to me, Gunbuster was the strongest story, even if it ultimately dovetailed off into nothing at the end in that particular thread, because it had a thread to start with. And I didn't feel that with Nono. I felt something different, but not as strong. Hmm. Okay, so the, like, so the father arc for you, the, like, which I feel like was, like, a super-duper, like, Space Battleship Yamato reference. Hmm. That whole scene with her um, wanting to follow in her dad's footsteps or, like, sort of, re- like, restore his good name. Yeah. You know, that that stuff resonated with you more? I would say so, yeah. Because uh, to, to, me, to me, it almost, like, I, I guess it's the plot I've seen more times before than someone who's just excited about their passion and wants to do it. Like, I feel like it's almost more cliché from my point of view yeah like to be like you know i'm I gonna avenge my dad's name or i want to follow my dad i don't know i mean it's they're both valid and both good i like yeah I, th- I think there's always going to be that personal association and i think that again sure. the execution factors into that as well like with the dovetailing mm-hmm, off the end mm-hmm. so and um, you were gonna say something Bob? yeah execution is more or less what i was gonna say they both they are both uh cliche to some degree but gunbuster does something with its own cliche Gunbuster uses the cliche to build up a character and then do something with the character. Uh, Diebuster does nothing with this character. Oh, she's awesome. They do so many great stuff with the character. She starts out as a cliche. She keeps being a cliche. She ends as a cliche. Oh, she has such a good and interesting arc. Like, Oh, does she? Mm, yeah. We'll talk about it. She has an amazing arc, which I love. But like, the like that scene like i wish they did more like when they when they find in gunbuster the dad's ship like i mean i just feel like that they didn't what was accomplished there exactly um the dad's ship uh in gunbuster right yeah i think it was episode two where noriko veers off course and then they have to rescue her and hop back that i didn't feel like a lot was i don't know it it just didn't do anything for me if if you look at it as oh they go to a ship, but it is more or less your first introduction to the relativistic effects and how they affect people. Mm-hmm. The fact that the fact that they lose basically months in a few seconds—that's the entire point of that scene. That's fine, like. but it didn't do anything emotionally for me. For the it character. didn't. N- not really. I mean, it it's a, it no because you're looking at it wrong. You're looking at it, oh, oh it's okay. the dad. Oh, it's like, wow, look, there's no dad. Look, her dad is dead. Yeah, no, I, I didn't think that part was very effective, but it establishes how scary this world is in terms of how time works. It puts a whole lot of things later into perspective. It it gives you this dread of the effects. It gives you the scale of humanity. Humanity has achieved near light speed travel and yet time is what like is still there's still a limit yeah can i intervene and just ask and add something to this there is of course the fact that the time dilation happens and then they the, the this actually bookended with discussion firstly of the birthday happening in the future and then the fact that she comes back to the birthday but are you talking about s the hedgehog again <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> <laughs> But no, um, the thing is, right, Noriko travels nine months and loses nine months of time. Like, she's now nine months younger than everyone else, biologically. But as much as time is going past, she's also being forced up to grow up much faster than she otherwise would. 
She's gone. Yes. In, she's gone into that ship, expecting something amazing to happen, a miracle to see her father again. I actually mentioned a small detail to you, Doc, um, offline on the, for a bath for a better word on, in Discord, where in a close-up shot we see Noriko open the bridge door, and there's a whoosh of <clears throat> of whoosh of air, and the immediate reaction that you realise is it's vacuum inside on the bridge, and Noriko enters that. Um, enters the, the ship with optimism and comes back crushed. She has learned a hard and horrible truth in that particular time that's on there. That nine months that she that she's lost, she's actually probably aged more emotionally or has been da- like forced to go through that more in her head in years because of that realization. Never mind what happens with her the other guy um, who will, I would still want to bring up. Yeah, Smith, Smith, Torrin. Smith, yeah. Smith. <laughs> oh Jesus! I want to. I <laughs> yeah, but that's my point. Like, I think that the whole point of that thing was not that it it accomplished it. That it said that this is. There's other things that bring this to mind as well, like how we see like another character whose name is Kimiko. She's the third girl, and she becomes a mum in the absence of Noriko going off on these adventures because of the time travel thing. Like, she comes back and she's still like. But then Kimiko's like, you know, in her mid-twenties and has a kid. And Kimiko, like, says... And then an old lady. Yeah, she's an old lady. And Kimiko says, how bizarre is this that I'm having to entrust the fate? I want you to fight for my child. But you, you're just as you are and you left. And I don't know if... Like, she's asking for a very adult thing. Yeah, and in, in those ways, those are scenes where I feel like is the opposite of what you talked about her growing up too fast. I feel like part of the reason she's... um, It's part of the reason she, like feels isolated to me later which is i'm not saying this contradicts what you said i'm saying like in episode two they have that world mechanic building moment right and and she she ate she grows up a lot during the nine months that she loses mm. but i'm saying at the at the end of the show when you know she sees kimiko and she's much older and when she sees her um onesama and she's in her like 30s like she has nothing in common with these adults and she still feels like it's just she feels like she feels so so separate and isolated i feel like the people on board the ship like when they go back to earth so often and they see these people and they look the same it's almost like they're gods because years pass and like they come again and they look the same and they keep looking the same time you know works differently for them i think it's really neat and i think this is the thing actually that gunbuster does a lot better than Die Buster. I don't even know if there is time dilation stuff in Die Buster. I don't there isn't. So. No, no. They they play around with this mechanic, and it's and they do some interesting things with it in Gunbuster. But you know what you just pointed out to me, like and Shadon about Episode Two. I'm just thinking about it for the first time. The show didn't convey it to me in a clean, yeah, and clear way. I I would not have thought about it in that way if you hadn't said anything. And so I think this is part of why, like, the show didn't hit me as hard because it just—I don't feel like it reached out and communicated stuff to me. I, th- I think you went into it looking for a mecha anime. Well, this was Am a I... rewatch. No, I'd seen it before. No, I mean not now, but you know, the first time you really watched it, I, I feel like you, your expectations were that of a like a, a something closer to something you've watched before. Mm, well, if you look on my mail, I have it as a ten out of ten. 
I mean, I love the shit out of it. <laughs> Can I offer just some context for the audience here, just as regards to my, why I feel like I might have come to that conclusion when Doc didn't? There's a book that I brought numerous times before on this cast, and I was loath to bring it up again because I didn't want to sound like I was repeating myself. Oh, Yes, please mention this. But I feel this is important for me to mention because, truth be told, I already have familiarity with time dilation in fiction. I read um, a book by Joseph Haldeman called The Forever War, which I've mentioned before on the podcast, so if you're a regular listener, I'm not going to waste your time by race racing details. But that was a book about how time dilation changed people and changed the culture and how they did become distant, but how they kept going back, or rather the two main characters kept going back and finding each other over the time, which... Funnily enough, is what happens to, of course, Noriko and Amino. Even though Amino, like, that's the thing, like, Amino is the last person to go out of sync, shall we say. She's, in the final episode, she's now gained, like, 18 years. She's in her mid-30s, whereas Noriko's still 17. And I think that, for me, was why I've, I might have spied that. Not because I'm trying to say that I'm more observant than Doc. Jesus Christ, no. I'm barely fucking awake half these days, but anyway. Uh, my point is more that I think that Prior knowledge it will affect your viewing of this if you have read that kind of fiction. Indeed, I'm very much of the opinion that I think that Anno and the other staff who wrote Gunbuster probably had read that book at least once because a lot of it rings very similarly. No, I'm I'm looking for an interview. So he was asked about that. Oh, Anno, and he he said no, but there's there is a Japanese myth. Um that he based this thing off of i'm trying to find it i have not read this book either but i've i've uh, i used to be very into physics and my 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 mind used to wonder at like possibilities of what could happen with certain things and you know at some at some point time dilation and how it would affect people sort of came to mind so yeah it, i had some experience with the subject yeah so it i yeah but here's the thing this is what i mean when I say Gunbuster has depth, Gunbuster has stuff in it. Like, you can't, even if you're not familiar with this, uh, you can keep going back to Gunbuster. And as you learn more about more, uh, about relevant things and it, it'll have more stuff to offer, Die Buster, not so much. Hmm. I need to also bring up something else to further my theory about the time dilation being relevant more. Um, there's actually a scene in which I think it's episode four in which Noriko is resting in her room somewhere, like after she's returned from another time dilation journey. And there are actually a number of posters in here of Studio Ghibli works as well as of, believe it or not, Space Battleship Yamato. Um, did you guys spot those? No. I'm sorry, say, say again? Right. The, did you spot the scene in which Noriko is resting in her room in episode four and there are numerous posters of uh, Ghibli films <laughs> such as Naime Totoro? No. No, I didn't. I, th- see I think her. I did see Totoro. Yeah, the there's there's wave. There's yeah. also the um, space battleship Yamato in there as well. And I think not. Can I just say I have no idea what that is? So I, I might have seen it, but didn't the thing know. is, right? I saw this, and my immediate thought was, "Oh, those are cute references." And then it hit me that there's more to that. So, I of course own a couple of anime figures I have posted on my walls. We tend to keep a hold of physical things like an object's for memory. And because they anchor us to time, um, times that we um, remember fondly, they're part of our identity. I have a leather jacket that, for example, has a Thunderbirds International Rescue badge on it, it has a Metallica badge, and it has a Smith's Salford Labs Club badge on it. Because those three are some parts of 
what defines my personality. Can I ask you a question real quick before you continue? What's the name of the book? Uh, the, for, the Forever War. Okay, please continue. Okay, so Noriko comes back after all this time, but she still has these posters because they're her anchors to what she was, like to, to her culture that she's left behind. Because obviously at the time that this happened now, like Totoro obviously wasn't in the, wasn't going to be out unless they did like, you know, the Plasm Edition, like, re-release or whatever <laughs> on whatever format that you put in the future like data cubes or some shit like that but it's the posters in there are meant to be representations of the place she's come from they're her comfort they're they're things that she looks back on and remembers from her culture it's like although not strictly speaking related to time travel if, if you've watched guardians of the galaxy all of the little trinkets like the troll doll and such and the this cassette player that peter quill has in that film I'm not there solely for the kitsch value and to give it like that feel of, oh, look at this, how quirky it is. They're his anchors to when he was a kid before he changed. And so I think it's important to note those being there because they're to remind Noriko to herself, like who she is and give her some humanity back after being away fighting these creatures that, again, to bring up the comparisons of the Vardra, are so alien. Like you, these go so far as even that you could substitute any natural force in their place, like, as an allegory. You could use the space monsters as an allegory for a natural disaster, for example. So I think that there's more of a thread running through this of Nor- of time dilation affecting Noriko and how she copes and how she grows up. Like she still has anchors to the past, but she's also trying to deal with these horrible things that are happening, the loss of her father. I'm still of the opinion though, of course, that I don't think Gunbuster tied up in a neat bow at the end. There's no real resolution to Noriko's father issues and i'm gonna need to bring up something else now so amino is also a character and she has a a character crisis of sorts in episode five in which she confesses to noriko yeah she confesses to um noriko that she's very madly in love with coach you mean amino yeah not not noriko (laughs) oh no she confesses to noriko yeah although funnily enough funnily enough you're actually touching on something i'm gonna bring up (laughs) believe it or not um Okay. Uh, which you're probably going to hate me for, but I trust you, it makes sense. The problem I had with this is I didn't mind it. I thought, okay, this is a bit suspect that, like, you know, this teacher's, you know, dating this girl, but to be fair, like, you know, this is all about growing up faster than you actually are, so go figure. But it never happened, though, right? No, they got married. Oh, that's right. Fuck, I forgot about that. Yeah, they got married. Um, and he lived He lived through his space sickness or whatever for a yeah. while. Yeah, right? funnily enough, that's one of the other um, scientifically plausible things about Gunbuster in that if you like astronauts in NASA who go up too many times do eventually get benched because you would just absorb too much cosmic radiation. Like, you get, there's a higher risk of developing cancers and such. So, kudos them for that. But the problem I had with this is that this is a character moment for Amino, but this is a six episode OVA. And I think that, like, like where did this relationship with Coach come from? This just kind of came out of left field. And I get that they were trying to, like, you know, balance this out because these two were, you know, concurrent throughout all this story. But they should have just left... I'm I'm going to make a suggestion here, and people are probably going to scream bloody bird rip me for this because it's going to sound strange. (laughs) But I actually think that it should have been Noriko who hooks up with Coach, but then have things play out otherwise. Because it then ties in with... No, No, I'm going to explain why from a narrative sense. Okay. Now I do understand that that doesn't that does raise issues of you know well she he knew her dad and that's weird and that 
That I, that I totally <laughs> just, that I totally understand. That's not even what I'm thinking about. But the thing I'm thinking about specifically is that Noriko has suffered a lot of loss. I mean, Smith, who we'll get to in a minute. There'd be no equality in that relationship, is what I'm what I'm saying ah, right. between Coach and Noriko. Yeah. It is a completely unequal relationship of power. Yeah. And so I don't think a romantic element in it, like, it just would have felt... Well, was it not similarly unequal between... To me. Similarly unequal between Amino and Coach, then? I, I, the, problem, the problem with this... I feel like there's a lot of backstory that was kind of implied because we were kind of put into this uh, this plot. We meet uh, Amino, uh, um, that's her name, right? Yes. <laughs> um, quite late in her career, so to speak. So it's not too implausible that she could have something with Coach and we it just happened before. Well, I just think it's a, there's an unspoken tension between them, and they both are like yeah. putting putting it aside for like the good of humanity and the mission. Hmm. And they both feel it, and they both know that they have feelings for each other. And Amino is a mature lady enough where she's not going to fling herself at the coach. And like I feel like that they are a much more on equal footing, and hmm. she's every bit a match for him. Yeah. Whereas Noriko is so naive. No, I'm saying it came out of the blue because I felt like that we've been following Noriko for so long, like suddenly we deal with Amino here and then it ends. Right. I just feel like that this was a bit of a plot cul-de-sac that we divert, like, this is an OVA. They don't have the time, unfortunately, to delve into this. Were this a full-length show, like a 12-season, uh, sorry, 12-season, uh, no, it's not One Piece, Jesus Christ. I meant to say 12-episode <laughs> show. <laughs> that's when they could have delved into that in more detail. And that would have been fine. But the problem of having a short form is you have to pick and please, choose your please, material. Can you please put, like, insert the One Piece rap? Yo! <laughs> yes, I can. My point is, like, you have to... When you work in a short format like this, you have to pick and choose what material to keep your show focused. And this, to me, took the focus away. Like... That's my feeling on it. I can, I can, I can, I can see what you mean. And the funny thing is, you mentioned before about in Die Buster about there was that episode about the bratty little topless, like who complains about Echo. Yeah, Echo. Right? I actually liked that episode in that story, and it was for me the best part of it because it felt like there was a human problem being dealt with here. Like they were dealing with jealousy issues, like you know, Nori, you know, No Nori comes in out of nowhere, and suddenly she's like, "I'm gonna have a, a Buster machine. It's awesome." And then obviously, you've got this girl's like. I'm trying to do something to help people, but I don't know how. Like, there's also a bit of a... I understood it as a, as a bit of derision towards the topless from the public. Like, they seem a bit suspects of them, which is not... Definitely. Yeah, they, they bring this up and then drop it almost immediately. And then it comes no, up they, again. What? No, they don't. <laughs> they totally, like... it. It's it's this, like... The public's relationship with the topless and no-no is, like... That is how the world shifts around in the last few episodes. Yeah, because the topless get um, restrained. Yeah, the last. They communicate yeah. a whole bunch of information in a in a very elegantly, I think, in a relatively. No, no, I get, I get, I, 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 I'm gonna explain later. Just go on. <laughs> yeah. So okay, okay. So the the point I was making though is that that to me spoke smacks of an episode that belonged in a longer show. Like it's almost like. The same problem and yet the opposite. I know that makes no fucking sense, but it feels to me like that to me felt like a single character piece moment. But again, like I think the, a common problem I have with both the shows is that I don't think they made best use of their time. 
completely. A lot of it is perfectly fine, but those bits like, that belongs in a different show, as does that, or rather in a longer show, I mean to say. I, I don't... I thought it just helped to make Coach and Amino, like feel more human. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to have their sexual tension and, you know, things are going to be bubbling beneath the surface. And it just, I think it, like, reinforces how dedicated that they are to the mission. Especially, you know, Amino, who is still, you know, a teenager. You know, she's a senior in high school, but she's still a late teenager having to, you know, bottle up her feelings um, when she knows that the man she loves is dying and she hasn't talked to it. Like, I don't know, like... I I kind of saw that there before they started delving into it so it didn't really hit me as a out of the blue sort of thing. And uh and I didn't I don't know. But I I see where you're coming from. It just did not hit me that way. Yeah. Can I now also speak about Smith? Because I've been meaning to speak about this for a the, while. The the real life person. <laughs> the real life person. Yes. In fact, doc, could you could you elaborate on the real life element of this? Uh, I can. Um, I don't know a whole bunch. Uh, let me let me Google. While Doc is doing some googling, uh, I, I, f- I I feel like it would be interesting to. I mean, we just discussed a fair few of the of Gunbusters uh, plot elements. It, I just kind of want to compare this what we just talked about with Cunbuster too. What happens in Die Buster up to this point? So first couple of episodes of Gunbuster we are introduced to this world. We it has some rules that humanity has to play by. We're introduced to this character that has to grow up, that is forced to grow up, that it is living in a world with where you can basically lose so much time in so little time. There's, you know, all that stuff that we talked about. Mm. Meanwhile, in Die Buster, we have a kid that wants to go to space. We uh, have a, a, a fight in space. Um, and then the kid uh, meets some grill and wants her to be her Anisama, and then they 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 shower together or something, and that's it? Cool. Okay, that's it? Yeah, that's it. Are you asking me? No, yeah, sort of, yeah. Like, what, oh, what else I happens just... in the first couple of episodes of Die Buster? Does anything, like, important happen? Oh, gosh. I mean... We have fights. We have some Moe stuff. Well, it is, they're all their character establishing um, for yeah yeah of for course, all of, of course for all the for all the cast and um, their universe you know world building as well. We get we get a kid that is really angry because giant robots do not uh, could not that's heal episode, her brother. I think that's episode. I think that's episode three. Mm-hmm. I, she she's she's kind of introduced. Yeah, she, she was a little kid who like was making a yeah. wish and was praying. I mean, we all have moments where we lose faith in things. No, like, yeah, but here's the thing. <laughs> like Diebusters stories about kids who don't want to grow up, but in the least sort of in the most surface level possible, 
there's a kid that hates giant robots because they couldn't heal someone and that's her entire story arc it's like oh okay uh, i i can't heal people so uh these robots that very clearly can protect people are useless Vog, we follow this Vog, can i can i just say that part of that is not just about the robot but also because of the fact that she's a topless like she yeah. has these powers but they don't mean jack shit that's I, that's why I like that. Yeah, she says she has these powers that don't mean jack shit. And this theme is explored while we're watching footage of people, of other topless, protecting people from aliens. Where it's like, you, you this, this, this well, theme yeah, is explored. I mean, it's, a, it's a personal, emotional journey she has to go on. Like, you can prove logically to someone... No, here, but, but here's the thing. We follow this character. Personally. We follow this character with very flawed logic in an anime that immediately shows you why that logic is flawed. That does not make it like any deep. That does not offer you anything. It's just a bad character. And it's like, okay, w- we just follow this bad character. It's a kid. So she has to have her faith restored by, by Nono. And that's the... I think the, the the resolution, or at least as good as as No No can can give, that you know you have to that you have to suck it up, right? And and hard that's so guts. deep, right? <laughs> well, that's, that's so Gunbuster deep. too. Hardworking guns, yeah. man. That's yeah. the thing. That's that's what they. That's the refrain. But but and No No restores her faith by making it snow for the kids, and there's oh, wow. a moment, and it touches you know you know Tycho and. Uh, she has her jealousy issues with uh, Lark, and you know, wow, that's, it's, that's it's her bad character. kid character. Wow, it's bad yeah. kid characters. Well, tell tell me, tell me about the characters. tell me about the third or fourth most reference characters in Gunbuster. Tell tell me about Young Freud and her amazing character. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like, like fucking. There are two characters in Gunbuster, and like, that's like the character you're talking about in Diebuster is like the fourth or fifth most important character behind several other and she has a, an episode she has an arc yeah I, I i don't i don't feel like the the other more important characters are very sort of well uh have very good arcs either lark's story arc is it's so good she doesn't want to grow up much like the other uh, uh, uh topless because i don't think because... it's as simple as that i mean she has to carry the burden of of power <laughs> and and can i okay the the entire sort of thing that i would give credit to die buster for is the entire not wanting to grow up thing it it kind of gives you a good idea of what it's like to grow up with not just power but with the, so a, a connection to something and then immediately at any point, you can lose it. I think that's something that it did quite well. Uh, and I think that's more or less the only thing that it did quite well. Everything else that it tried to do, I feel it kind of dropped. So, oh, we let, oh, look, uh, people live in poverty now. Um, okay, never mind. We're not going to show any more of that. You, we're not going to show why. We're not going to show, like, any any anything that led to this, we're not even going to talk about it. They only have six episodes. 
and they do talk about it. They talk about like this is the world inside of a shitty spaceship. That yeah, we- that's why the snow thing is important because you don't want to have weather on this on a spaceship, of course. Like they 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 give you details and they don't sort of expound on them a lot, but like there's there's a lot there, and I totally like the poverty thing is something that I think is super cool when reflecting on Diebuster versus Gunbuster because everything in Gunbuster is so ornate and elaborate. Like the inside of the ship is so well furnished and huge rooms. Like everyone has, is not wanting for food. Humanity is all together united of a piece. And thousands of years later, it's, it's a lot more fractious. Humanity is spread out. There's more poverty. The ships, the spaces are more cramped. There's less furnishings. Like they show, you know, impoverished kids on a planet, you know, which they they only show on in Gunbuster people on Earth that are well off. Like I think that's a really interesting like arc for humanity and kind of they've survived fighting the monsters, but at a great cost. Yeah, I think the I think the intent perhaps is more that you can succeed, but you're not going to win. The war, for lack of a better term, you always have to keep fighting. Like there'll always be these things that need to be addressed. Like the the thing to go back to Star Trek is that Star Trek's message apparently was originally always intended that we'll evolve to a certain point in which we won't need to care about these problems anymore. We won't hate, but we'll never want for anything. We'll never need money. That was Roddenberry's sorry Roddenberry's ideal. But the ideal that I've seen postulated that I prefer for Star Trek, particularly in reference to. Um, certain episodes of the original series is that we never evolve but we have to challenge ourselves and recognize where things aren't working and then try to fix them because we'll always be problems there'll always be conflicts between people groups nations you name it but they'll never stop coming but it's up to us to stop and say wait no say right let's fix it i mean the very the very fact that you have like the fraternity Mm -hmm. that sort of see themselves as above regular people you that you have haves and have nots like it's such an interesting like development from where humanity was where all the the kids you know flying the um the piloting the robots like you didn't feel that division like they felt just like they're just normal people that have worked hard and developed these skills and they can come back and mingle with people but there's more of a class system that feels like it's at work in Die Buster. And again, I just thought that was such a cool, like just it being, just the class system being there, just the poverty being there, just the, oh, we're living on Uranus because here's a ship, the remains of a ship sitting in atmosphere. It's all in, more interesting because of its relationship to Gunbuster and its contrast to it. So that's why I say it's such an excellent sequel because I think it's mindful of things like that. Hmm. Man, you're so lucky. It's two in the morning, and I <laughs> barely remember Diebuster. <laughs> okay, good. I need to speak about Smith then, because... Well, just the briefest thing. So he is a Canadian comics creator. Mm-hmm. Um, he made uh, a lot, of, several comics based on anime Dirty Pair. And he's, you know, translated various anime scripts. You know, he's worked, uh, he's been an anime and manga fan. And he went over to Japan uh, for a while and lived in the Gainax house, right? Where all these animators and whatnot are 
living together, all these dudes. In the Wikipedia page, it says he lost like 30 pounds in nine months because he just didn't have any money <laughs> and was just living in poverty over there with the Gynax people and just developed a bond of friendship with them and, and grew close. And that's why they wanted to give him a shout in Gunbuster by naming a character after him. And uh, he passed away uh, a few years ago. Uh, very recently i feel like 2013 i want to say yep march 2013 hmm. okay so smith in gunbuster in the third episode noriko and amino have a quite serious falling out and they stop talking to each other and during this instant um noriko ends up speaking to smith who is a male pilot like not all the pilots are women they have segregated dorms but there are male pilots. And she forms a brief but quick friendship with him. And then they're sent out into battle. And the way that this battle plays out and what happens to Smith is some of the most brilliant, understated directors I've seen in animation. Because mm. I hated what happened to him. But I loved what it told me and what it reminded me about the dangers of space and its scale. And the thing the the, the thing of no not seeing firsthand when someone dies, but being told and having to make that realization, like you have to, you don't see it, you have to decide it. So what happens is that Ooh. Noriko goes out into Ooh. battle. Smith is there as well, and do they partner up. I think they do, or at least are in the same flight group. Yeah, but they're, they're, they do. They they partner up. They do. Uh, she stops being partnered with uh, the other person, yeah. and then they partner up. Correct. So what happens is that Noriko gets like, waylaid or, like, rams into a monster accident and is temporarily incapacitated. When she comes back online, um, this is because she's freaked out. She's terrified. Yeah. And that's understandable. They make it They make it terrifying. Yeah. Never mind the fact that I, I will really point out you. that Noriko was taught in a high school environment. That's not conducive to getting people ready for war. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> But what happens is that she then tries to communicate with Smith and she gets no answer. She can't find him. He's simply gone. And when I say that, I'm not talking as in he's literally been magicked away by the wizards or something like that or fallen to a black hole. There is no explanation given. She gets back to the ship and they close the loading ramp for where the mechs can board. Mm -hmm. Which, what a fucking brilliant image that was like he's dead as far as they're concerned he is ki she doesn't even get to see like a light blip out on the radar no nothing you know i love that you that was an incredible sentence you said that she doesn't get to see it she has to decide it yeah that the way you put that i mean that's fucking brutal oh but it's true because yeah. no one comes up to her at any point. Like, there's there's no dialogue in these bits. There's no one comes up to her at any point and says, he's gone. She We we see what she sees, which is a big fat load of fuck all, and those little bits like her flowing in space, nothing for my, like for thousands of miles, if not light years. The, the ramp closing, the looks on the faces of Smith's dorm mates. And it's it parallels what happened with her father. It's true. I didn't bring this up, but this is another example of how well the direction's done in Gunbuster. It's all very simple and understated, this stuff. 
But what happens is that when Noriko's giving the opening monologue of what's happening and says that her father never came back, there's a shot where she's looking at a photograph, or rather we're looking at a photograph of her and her father, and it fades to grey. Now you might think that that's probably a bit cliched, admittedly, but it works because the environment in which he died in, there was no body to come home. The casket was empty. And so it understates it because there's no evidence. Like, what we don't see it, so we have to realise it, as I mentioned. If there's one thing I can say about what Gunbuster does really well above all else is it handles death scenes superbly. Like, almost because it actually never shows them. Like, Coach dies between episode 5 and 6, and, it, right. and it's many years later at this point for Amino. And we can just see, like, from the fact that she still has a shrine set out for him, like, and just the way she carries herself, it's all conveyed very subtly. My only criticism is that I just wish it was in service of something a teensy bit more, as I mentioned earlier. But I can't fault, like, that's the thing I've always said about guys. Even going to, to Evangelion, as I've said before, I may complain about the model writing and things and the plot cul-de-sacs, things that don't go anywhere, you know, or the lack or absence thereof of character acts. From both Gunbuster and Diebuster, I can't fault their visuals. So you, so you didn't like the Gunbuster ending? No, I thought no, I I liked it. I the only complaint I had with the Gunbuster ending was that there was five minutes of nothing set to Christmas music, as Borgelius said before. <laughs> but the thing is, like the thing I really liked is that there was a bit in episode six where they mentioned about the shape of Australia having changed, like the landmass has shifted. Small detail. Mm-hmm. But I like that because you don't know what you're coming back to when you when that when you go on these time dilation journeys. The Noriko and Amino come back, and they don't have any expectation of it. And then it's a united Earth effort to just say, "Welcome home. We've been waiting." And they don't see any of the culture that's down there. Like, but that's the whole point. Like, just the fact that they're there, there is a presence there waiting for them is enough. The finer print can wait till later, and I really like that. I thought that, as Varg has said, and you have said, the ending was great, just unfortunately marred by the technical difficulty, shall we say. I was kind of willing to look past the technical difficulties, even though it stood out, but uh, the combat, the fight scenes in general in Gunbuster did not quite capture my attention as much, even with the, the sort of contrast. It didn't really affect my experience too much. Can I just say, Smith's death scene is pretty effective, as you, uh, as someone might uh, deduce from what you mentioned. <laughs> His death is essentially decided on like a couple of moments of indecisiveness from the main character. Mm-hmm. It's extremely effective. Can I just say, at that point? Smith has been in the anime for like five minutes. <laughs> Gunbuster managed to make a death scene effective, meaningful, from and it's the death scene of a character that's been in the anime for five minutes. Yes. I think it's meaningful because he's related to a character that has been here the whole time. Yeah, you know it's I mean? it's meaningful because it's explored from the eyes of the main character who like has some experience with the situation, but still, five minutes. Yeah, I mean, as on top of that, it also just illustrates the horror of war. Like, you can meet someone, 
and form that snap relationship with them then. Sure. And then like like that, gone. Just poof. Meanwhile, meanwhile in Die Buster, uh, a giant robot throws a planet at something. Oh, it's so fucking cool. <laughs> no, it isn't. Like, oh my god. It was no, so it good. isn't. They used the core of Jupiter as a weapon, and then they almost used the Earth as a fucking weapon. It's so awesome. Ooh, ooh here's the thing. At, at, at that point, you're essentially going to philosophical territory about defacing the solar system. I mean, how crazy? Because <laughs> it's insane. That's why I love it. Can I? Can I? Can I go? Like, it's just stupid. I we had a, a discussion before about whether it's. I'm like, oh, this is cliche. They they just a lot of a lot of uh, die busters cliche, and and then you're like throwing Jupiter at a giant monster is not cliche. It is cliche, I, man. I don't know if I said that. But, but someone sure. did. That's. I, I don't think that's cliche. Well, the, the thing is, the thing is, cliche in of itself is not a flaw. Yeah, I think it's all executed. It's well. execution. Even if, even that's if the you problem. see it. Yep. Even if you see it as cliche. I think yeah. This is something. Well. This is something I wanted to address. Like when when someone says this giant thing is cool, this well look, it's a planet, a, a giant monster. It when it carries. The same. I have to go. What? That's it? The podcast is split into two parts. Scenes after this Shadon's voice came out, and they have to record the rest another day. What a pussy! He needs a majestic voice, like mine! Well, tell you what, computer, you find the second half of this podcast, and in the meantime, I'll try and think of a way for us to escape the sun giving us the tan of a lifetime. Would you kindly put on some inspirational thinking music for me? Sure. Commencing playback. You got the touch! You got the power!
Oh, I'm sorry, you thought we weren't going to discuss the fanfic that we read out earlier. Well, buckle up! If I tried running this through Google Translate, I had a horrible feeling it would probably cause Google to, like, set on fire. A lot of people would be injured. Do I have to explain this again? It's a style, it's an aesthetic choice, it has meaning behind it. In the same way, I suppose, that I could take a shit on a, you know, on a piece of paper and call it art. <laughs> in the same way that... it. Know. In the same way that Die Buster has meaning. Oh, fucking hell, that's... Oh, God. I'm, I'm proud of this. this. Secretly, the best character is the mom. <laughs> the mom is just like, okay, okay, let's let's see. Uh, uh, S, come over here, please. I mean, just like, well, my son, who I just birthed, you are a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. She called Sonic a bitch who she birthed.